Testing, testing. Yes, one, two, three. Hello, hello, hello. hello. Welcome right. to that grindhouse horror episode, <laughs> yes. season yes. three, episode twenty-two. Right, where we sit in the decrepit movie theater on the outskirts of New York City with a bunch of derelicts yes. who, who uh, will yell, peeing, peeing in the uh, in the in the in the alley behind the theater, uh, yeah. or hopefully if, in the alley behind if, the theater. <laughs> or if you've heard the story that Frank Kennedy told, where he was in an actual, where he was in a movie theater, and. He was watching a movie. It was called Drive-In Massacre. And classy the, title. Yeah, the classy <laughs> title. Yeah, hey, that's how it drags you in. But he said that theater always smelled like a men's room. He said whenever you opened the door, you'd get this whiff of piss that would just assault you. But wow. he's sitting in there one day. He's sitting watching this movie, and he hears the sound of liquid, and he sees, turns over, and there's this pudgy, like, a Mexican guy sitting like a couple of seats away from him. Dave? <laughs> no, no. But, well, it could be. I, that, that's who I, I – actually, I kind of do envision that. In so, but anyways, he, he's sitting there and the guy is literally taking a piss by just holding his dick up and just shooting in the air like a fountain and it's sitting a seat over. And the guy looks over at Frank and Frank looks at him like – and the guy go, does this like, hey, what am I going to do? <laughs> that's when that's, you promptly get that, up out of your seat. <laughs> You tell the management, and the management tells you to fuck off. Oh, the management doesn't give a shit. They're, they're too busy counting the box office and trying to figure out if they can get like a three kung fu hits on the yeah. next, next screen. So what is $20 for the last four people that are in this movie theater? Oh, God. Oh, man. Well, like I said, welcome to Season 3, Episode 22, That Grindhouse Horror Episode. Yeah. Uh, recorded hey. Tuesday, uh, February 14th, 2017. Uh. Happy Valentine's Day, yes, everyone. Happy VD. I mean, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> not, 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 not VD, but, you know, come on. You get it, folks. Yes. <laughs> and welcome, welcome, welcome to this month's episode. Yes. Do Chris and I have a jam-packed episode for you this month? Yes. Super jam-packed, yes, in fact. it's fun for the whole family. <laughs> yeah, well, the okay. Manson family, Manson maybe. Family. <laughs> <laughs> so we're happy you're tuning in. If you have if you've been paying attention to our official Facebook page and Twitter page, THSP uh, at That Horse Show One, or my Instagram account at uh, That Horse Show Podcast, you would know that Chris and I, THSP, are now a part of the Speakeasy Podcast Network with four other great podcasts, which you should really check out and give a spin to. Do you love video games? Well, we got you covered there with Throwing the Controller with your hosts Kevin Kerrigan, Chris Barreras, and James Mullins. Do you like possible sequels to your favorite television shows and films? Join Sequel This with hosts Dave Rodriguez and Mark L. Risman as they pitch original ideas for sequels and prequels and the occasional remake to establish movies and television franchises. If you like scripted comedy about two guys running a video store and the wacky zany adventures they have, then check out the Mark and Ken Video Store podcast with Mark Risman again and Ken Zuckerman. 
And certainly, last but not least, lousy bums. If you like Dungeons & Dragons, this is the podcast for you. So be sure to check out the official Facebook page at the Speakeasy Podcast Network and our official webpage at www.thespeakeasypodcast.tumblr.com. So be sure to add that to your favorite lists wedged right in between your Amazon bookmarks and your favorite porn websites. Remember, talk is cheap and so is the Speakeasy Podcast Network. Yes, yes. Yes. I think you guys should all check out these podcasts. They're really fun and amazing. Yeah, great shows. It's it's also great that we are part of that yes. organization as well. Yes. So, you know, forever, you know, expanding in uh, our brand and helping out others. It's just a big lovey-dovey love fest over right, there. Right. And I would also get, like to give another shout out to Petrified Gumbo Music and Benjamin Sampson's for our great yes, or Sampson yes. for our great new musical intro. And they also can be found on uh, Facebook at Petrified Gumbo Music. And Chris Happy anniversary, man. Oh. Yes, our first episode ever. That pilot episode, Dead Snow is Frozen After 30 Days of Ice. Yes, that episode dropped February 18th, 2015, oh, four wow. days from now. Jesus. So, I mean, it's been a while, man. Yeah, it has. But, uh, you know, like I said, we are on season three. Yeah. And, uh, all I gotta, and like we, I've said before, I'll say it again, how I made it this far. I do not know, but we made it. Lots of drinking. <laughs> lots of drinking. <laughs> lots of drink. Lots of movie watching. And uh, yes, and like I said, we have more down the line. I mean, so. Yes. But um, yeah, that's very interesting that this is our anniversary. Uh, yeah. I wish we had presents for us yeah. here, but we, you know. I <laughs> it's, forgot. It's I in for- the mail. Yeah, it's in the mail. I forgot. <laughs> well, I forgot honest. last year too, so <laughs> I wanted to make a point of it this year. <laughs> they say year three is a lap dance. Right. jeez. Oh, <laughs> Oh, man. So what's new with you? Uh, Not much is going on with me. Uh, I've just been prepping for this episode because uh, we're going to be talking about two wacky uh, horror movies. Uh, I drink your blood and spit on your face. No, 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 that's not right. No, no, no. (laughs) It's the headless eyes and I drink your blood. A, a, well, not perfect, but kind of sort of perfect uh, drive-in double feature. At the very least, at least somewhat interesting. Interesting, yes. Let's put it this way. One is kind of not interesting and the other one is... Fairly, uh, fairly interesting. interesting. We'll let you guys figure guess just for now. But uh, but um, no, just prepping for this, um, and that's all I've been going on with me. Mm-hmm. What about you? Well, if you listened to our last episode, I finally did get my grubby little hands on Resident Evil Seven. <laughs> ah. uh, so if you're a video game fan, like I said, uh, of, of of the horror genre, uh, Resident Evil Seven takes it back to its roots of survival horror. It's just so so good. Um, and I wanted to give it a shout out to uh, Matt Gabrielson for alerting me and giving mm. me a heads up to get my ass over to my local Target as they opened up to pick up one of three classic NES Nintendo systems. <laughs> Those bad boys have been so hard to get a hold of since, I want to say, October, November of last year. Really? Uh, yeah. So what had NES had done, you know, the classic Nintendo, the 8-bit mm. stuff. Yeah. They released this console, this much smaller console, about this fits, fits in the size of her hand, but it has 30 classic NES games, uh, all your Super Mario Brothers, uh, Double Dragon 2, uh, Techno Bowl, uh, Ca- Castlevania, all these really cool old games, and um, oh, the fi- very first Final Fantasy, all these cool games for like 60 bucks. But what uh, Nintendo decided in their infinite wisdom decided to do is only release a certain number per store. So each uh, Target would m- maybe get three or four. Each Best Buy may only get, you know, ten. And so it's been causing quite the, like, stir on social media uh, who, want, who wanted these things, hopefully for Christmas, for your, you know, for, you know, for your dads and your do- uh, sons and daughters. So they release, like, a limited number They're of very units. Extremely limited. In fact, even as uh, when I went to pick up the game uh, the other week, two weeks ago, they were handing out blue tickets 
at four o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so the night crew who are cleaning are handing out tickets. So I went there well, with my son and daughter before school. And I'm like, I got there at 7.45, 7.53, the manager came in. Me and this other guy and my two kids are standing out there, like, freezing our asses off. And they're like, yeah, uh, all of them have had claim tickets for them. You're, you know, we, we can't sell them to you. You know, sorry. And, the, and then one of the guys just, like, was really pissed because he drove from, like, Clarendon Hills to get this game. <laughs> and, Jesus. And thankfully, I only live, like, five, five, ten minutes from the store. Yeah, so. So it wasn't up. that big of a thing. And, but I was really Bum. So I, uh, you know, get the kids back in the car, buckle them in. I'm calling my wife because she's at O'Hare Airport. She's got to fly out to Minnesota. The lady comes running out the door, waving her hands like, you know, like, sir, 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 if you want one, we have one for you. I'm like, son of a bitch, yes! <laughs> so I, did you crash the car into no, the side of a building no, and just no, run what I, right inside? what I did was <laughs> as I, I, I turned around to, to my son, Nathaniel. I'm like, Nate, get unbuckle. He's like, why, daddy, why? I'm like, do it now. <laughs> just just like, get up. I felt like an unfortunately, just do it now, you know? <laughs> so I grab him. I pick up my daughter. She's in my arms. I got him by the hands, you know, like, you know, running across the parking lot. We did park up front, but... For little kids, their legs aren't that long. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're running. I mean, um, my feet are barely touching the ground. So his is on. He goes, Daddy, Daddy, I can't. T- my feet aren't touching the ground. I can't run that fast. I have little legs. <laughs> and I'm like, you run, son. <laughs> you should have been a responsible parent and just locked him in the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so long story short, I did end up getting the NES. So thanks, oh thank you God. to Matt for that. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> and and also, I said I was I picked up the, uh, uh, the final, or not the final season, season six of Game of Thrones from the local library yeah, here. Okay. Finished that like in a two days because I plowed through it. And now I'm going through withdrawals until summer. <laughs> and then I find out that Game of Thrones, the se- seventh season and the seventh and eighth season are going to be only seven episodes long instead of their original ten. Yeah, okay. So I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> so anyway, well, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think we've pretty much uh, – you know, told told our life story on the show yeah. <laughs> what we did, did the past month. You think we should uh, get into our uh, what have we watched segments? Ooh, the trend for turn. Yes, yeah. But first, I really would like to mention this. Um, also, since this is the month of February, it's two mm. uh, known for two very important things other than Valentine's Day. One is obviously Black History Month, and the other two is for horror fans. It's Women in Horror Month, which is celebrating its eighth anniversary. Ah, yeah. So, and that's actually a pretty cool kind of thing. Um, I got their mission statement off their Facebook page. It says, uh, "Women in Horror Month is the international grassroots initiative which encourages, supports, uh, supporters to learn about and sh- and showcase the unprecedented." Uh, I'm sorry, the underrepresented work of women in the horror industry, whether they are on screen, behind the scenes, or or contributing in their own various artistic ways. It's clear that women love and appreciate and contribute to the horror genre. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I never heard about that until about uh, last week. Hmm. So maybe I'm thinking about next February's episode, we do a, uh, we'll dedicate that to women in horror, okay, you know, behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, lots of stuff we could talk about. I mean, there's just so much. Uh, and finally... I'm pleased to announce that there will be a special segment in this month's episode tonight Ooh. called – Yeah, what are you going to wait for? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, are, you, are, are you waiting for it? Wait, I'm, wait. I'm, gonna, just, I'm just going to grab your knee real quick. Just, 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 <laughs> just wait for it, folks. Just, just pause. Just, yes, yes. Wait for it. Um, no. Uh, finally, I'm pleased to announce there will be a special segment in this month's episode tonight called THSP Spotlight. Uh, it will be an interview segment in which I will be interviewing uh, Tori Daniel. So stay tuned. That will be coming up towards the end of the episode. And Chris, now I really think it's time for the triumphant return. Yes. Much like the phoenix rising from the ashes. Yes. It's time to flip on the old boob tube and head into our What Have We Watched segment. 
This motion picture is not a figment of the writer's imagination. It is based entirely on actual fact. Be prepared to let us take you inside the barbed wire gates of love and seven. Both of these officers, having full knowledge of the assignment, have agreed to volunteer to help us. Your arrest and your subsequent imprisonment into the women's camp has all been prearranged by Captain Calley. Perhaps your mission has not been clearly explained to you. For the next five days, you are going to be whores for the Third Reich. Well, ladies, I trust you'll find yourself entirely refreshed after your little shower. I want to welcome you once more to Love Camp 7. You may find it difficult to believe that this motion picture is true. You may find it incredible that two young American women would volunteer to throw themselves into the unspeakable indignities and horrible humiliations of a Nazi love camp in order to serve their country. You will follow the factual story of two American girls who are taken prisoner by the Nazi Gestapo and placed in Love Camp 7, a camp where women were used like cattle entirely to service the pleasures and perversions of the Nazi frontline officers. Love Camp 7 is actually filmed on location where the story took place. It is without a doubt the most total and complete study in reality this theater has ever had the privilege to present to its patrons. You may not find this story amusing. You may find it horrifying, disgusting, Certainly, you will not find it light entertainment, but we guarantee that you will not live long enough to ever forget the things you will witness and experience inside Love Camp 7. Breaking up sucks, but you know what's even worse? Wasting a night in New York City. Give it to me, I'm Let me teach you how to be single. Go get us some drinks. Okay. No, you don't buy the drinks. Boys buy the drinks. Not with this wallet. Okay. With the sausage wallet. Hey, what's up, y'all? I don't know why I just said y'all. You all would have taken just as much time. Oh my god. Can I have two margaritas? Oh my god. Give it to me, I'm You need to get out. You're in my apartment. This is not my apartment. Sorry. You were great last night. Was I? I can't remember. You're a pretty girl. <laughs> this is New York City. There's like a billion people outside that door. In every male-female friendship, there's a total number of drinks. Four, five. And if you hit that, it means you would definitely have sex. If I had more than five drinks, I'd hook up with you. My drink number is 27. I wouldn't even touch myself on less than 24. I'm on a one-night stand. What about the guy over there? No, he's too young. I'm Ken. Is this one of those fetish things where you're like a foot fetish? Am I the foot? Do you want to be the foot? 
to no drama. No drama. You have to be at work in like 30 minutes. I can do this in 20. Step one. That stuff is for babies. Babies with hangovers. Are we good? Payment accepted. Let's go. Yes! Welcome to the party. If Tom texts you, wait four hours to respond. And if you use an emoji, I will tip punch you. <gasps> no! An emoji! Oh! The thing about being single is you should cherish it. Oh my god, stop oh. having a moment. You really need to get that taken care of. What do you mean I barely have any hair? You should close your legs. There's a reason I stopped watching Duck Dynasty. Is that Tom Hanks from Castaway? <laughs> Seriously, it's like Gandalf is staring right at me. No penis shall pass. All right, Chris, why don't you start things off, man? <laughs> I, I know you've been jonesing, man. <laughs> uh, well, no, I haven't quite been jonesing for this this one, but uh, okay. Well, you chose it. <laughs> I, I did chose. I, yes, I did choose this. Choose one. it or chose it? I, I did. I did. Yeah. I did pick this one. <laughs> yes, you did. And I picked it because I felt it would fit right in with what we were talking about. So, all right, okay then. Uh, the film that I will be talking about is none other than. Love Camp 7, made in 1969, directed by Lee Frost under the screen name of R.L. Frost. Uh, before embarking on our – Sounds gr- like porn. It, it almost does. But, <laughs> okay, uh, b- before embarking on our grindhouse horror double feature, I decided to prep my own screening of the sleazy, um, quote, classic, unquote, <laughs> since, Blue Un- since Blue Underground released it on Blu-ray early this year. Not only is Love Camp 7 a first-time viewing for yours truly – but it is also the first time I decided to step into that exploitive genre known as <clears throat> Nazi exploitation. What is that, you may ask? Well, Nazi exploitation films are about, you know, the, the Third Reich committing such horrible acts like rape, sex slave trade, brutal recreations of horrible experiments, and the usual display of female nudity, all for the sake of sleazy entertainment. It's also a hard genre to recommend because uh, of the whole theme behind it. Yeah, and Nazis dis- is a hard sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the disturbing, politically incorrect subject matter on display. While that particular genre of films proliferated during the 70s and early 80s, mostly in Italian and French films, the whole genre was jump-started by this little movie, which was the brainchild of independent producer-distributor Bob Cressy. Uh, in the early 1960s, 60s, Cressy was cranking out such minor sexploitation affairs with alluringly sleazy titles like um, uh, House on Bear Mountain from 1962, um, <clears throat> Love is a Four-Letter Word from 1966, and oh, here's a good one, Hot Spur from 1968. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but by the time he An made – An equestrian title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the time he made Love Camp 7, it seemed like Cress wanted to pull out all the stops on this little sickie. He pull out. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, did he ever pull out the stops on this one. But another luminary of exploitation was on hand of sorts to help. Producer David F. Friedman, the mighty monarch of the exploitation film world, shows up in a small cameo as a head Nazi general. So <laughs> what can you say about that? So Love Camp 7 takes place – Obviously, during World War II, the British and American allies find out that a female scientist has has devised a new jet engine that the Nazis are interested in acquiring. The allies find out that the scientist is held captive at the secret Nazi base named Love Camp 7. 
which is basically a camp in which women are, you know, sent there as prisoners and used as personal sex slaves for the Third Reich. So the Allies decide to send in two female WAC lieutenants to go into Germany undercover and get captured so they can be taken to Love Camp 7, which is ran by a sadistic Nazi commandant to find and rescue the professor with the help of the French freedom fighters. Uh, surprisingly for such a low-budget fest like this, <laughs> Love Camp 7 actually has quite a bit of plot to put out, making one wonder if those involved behind the scenes tried to give it a little more in the story department over the visual shock value. If any, the whole show feels like an episode of Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> Just exchange the creepy Bob Crane with female performers and jettison the comedy for serious thrills and exploit the final product as being based on, quote, actual fact, unquote, as the film's trailer claims. And side note, by the way, if you think about it, Hogan's Heroes takes place in a POW camp and is, what is it? A sitcom. Now, I mean, come on. Is that more twisted than this movie or what, if you think about it? But, hey, that was a different time, right? While I'm sure the film shocked innocence and thrilled the twisted 42nd Street audiences way back when, Love Camp 7 is also pure cheese on a stick with marginal production values and okay acting here and there. But the real star of the whole show is none other than the film's producer, Bob Cressy himself, playing the sadistic Nazi commandant of the camp, speaking a typical cartoonish German accent <laughs> via replacing the letter W in certain words with a V, Cressy gives the best performance in the whole show, <laughs> literally. No, I am not kidding. Cress is pretty damn convincing here, even when he overacts. Of course, David F. Friedman would say in fan interviews that he thought Cressy was a, quote, closet Nazi, and we can only assume Cressy essayed the role as some attempt at living out his own fantasy on film. I mean, that's my guess. I don't know if that's true. But and speaking of the mighty monarch of the exploitation film world, Friedman himself appears in a brief scene playing a Nazi colonel and smoking a huge cigar to boot. Okay, so do I recommend Love Camp 7? Well, let me put it this way. If you are willing to sit through a little piece of non-PC filmmaking like this and look at it for what it is, then I say you're in for a treat. However, if this type of exploitation rot isn't something you would ever consider watching, then steer clear and stick with what you like best. Honestly, it's a tough call. So it's all up to you, the faithful listener, to decide. But to quote the evil commandant of this movie, quote, I cannot guarantee you that you will love Love Camp 7, but I can guarantee that you will love in Love Camp 7, <laughs> unquote. And that's all I got. End scene. End scene. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. My God. I have so many questions. Don't after. worry. Don't worry. I'm going to answer them <laughs> later on. So just tell Tim, what have you got? Oh, oh, okay. Well, it, the same thing, no. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, Tim, come on. <laughs> well, the, the film I'll be reviewing is How to Be Single <laughs> from, from 2016. So we go from Love Camp 7, seven to, to How to Be Single. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, two com- way completely different spectrums. Yeah, just, just or, polar opposites of exactly. one <laughs> so, uh <laughs> So How to Be Single from 2016, directed by Christian Ditter. Writing credits include uh, Abby Cohen with the screenplay and story, Mark Silverstein with the screenplay and story, and Dana Fox with the screenplay with based on the book by uh, Liz – I believe I'm pronouncing this right – Tukulo? Anyway, uh, it, star, it stars uh, Dakota Johnson as Alice, Rebba Wilson as Robin, Leslie Mann as Meg, uh, Allison Brie as Lucy, and Damon Waynes Jr. as David. The film opens up with the introduction of four very different women. First, there is Alice, played by Dakota Johnson. She's been in a relationship with her college sweetheart, Josh, played by Nicholas Braun, for four years. Alice has decided she wants some time alone and not to be held down in a relationship. She moves to New York City to start a new job. 
We are then introduced to Robin, played by Rebel Wilson, a plump Australian who loves to party, drink, and have one-night stands, etc. She loves to be single. She usually ends up in some stranger's bed at the end of the night. And then there is Meg, played by Leslie Mann. Alice's older sister, who is a doctor and has delivered numerous babies throughout her career. She, however, has never had the need or felt the inclination to settle down and have one herself until she finally does. And finally, last but certainly not least, there is Lucy, played by Alison Brie. Totally gorgeous. I love her. <laughs> um, a bossy and obsessed nut job who comes off way too strong around men, which typically frightens them away. Allison becomes friends with Robin through her new job, and they both work for the same law firm as assistants. Then Lucy hangs out at the bar above her apartment because her their Wi-Fi is much better and she needs it so she can use her dating system logarithm to find a man. That's how crazy and campy this is. <laughs> you can really <laughs> smell the desperation in her character. Now, this film attempts to tell a story of four unique and different women with different points of view on the pursuit of sex, love, and relationships. But what follows, in my opinion, is a mishmash of characters that for the most part are truly annoying with the exception of the characters of Lucy and Meg, whom I think they have some redeeming and funny moments throughout the film, but not enough to keep it afloat. <laughs> the biggest annoyance comes from the two main characters, Alice and Robin. How Rebba Wilson keeps getting on, getting roles is beyond me. <laughs> Utterly, every film I've seen her in, she plays the exact same crass, sarcastic, goofball ass. I don't know who keeps casting her in her movies, but whoever they are, they need a swift kick to their bathing suit bits. <laughs> also, can somebody please stop casting Dakota Johnson as a sexier sex symbol in movies? She is no leading lady, and I don't care how many Fifty Shades of Grey movies Hollywood makes, I find her uh, look very odd and off-putting. I think another point of contention for me for this film is that it cannot make up its mind if it's going to be a romantic comedy, a dramedy, or just a plain old silly comedy. Some films can pull off this kind of hybrid, but sadly, this is not one of them. I do blame the trailer that they used, for, used to promote this film. I liked the trailer, and in my opinion, the film did not deliver what the trailer promised. Thumbs down, not recommended. Yeah. Yeah, romantic movies are just kind of a uh, uh, – even though – <laughs> Yeah, for Valentine's Day, since we're talking yeah. about that, it's, it's that's why I kind of wanted to. It's such know, a hard sell. <laughs> and the thing is, and I do like romantic comedies. I do like goofy, um, sick, twisted, you know, non PC comedies, and you, you, you can do those. This trailer promised. At least, in my opinion, promised the latter. They, it came off as, you know, uh, you know, a non, like a piece, not non PC. You know, just a funny look at how to be single. Yeah. What I got was just this mishmash of like, you know, everything else. Well, it's the classic. You know, you can make those types of films, but you got to try to make them work. <laughs> and if they right. don't work, then what's the point of yeah. you know, going through the motions of that? Yeah. Wow. Sounds I, like I, it got more, more, got more groans and eye rolls yeah. from me than anything. Did you squirm in your seat a little bit too? Like you just were in so much pain. Yeah. <laughs> not really, because. You know, I truthfully I didn't see it at the theater. I did uh, get it on DVD for my wife for Christmas because she—that's what she wanted. One of the DVDs that she wanted, and I'm like, she saw it with her friends. And apparently, when the girlfriends go out and drinking and they have fun, I, that maybe I just need to be in the right frame of mind. I'm sitting there on a, on a Christmas break morning, w- watching this with her, and she's laughing hysterically. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you're, you're like folding your arms. You turn to her and say, I'm "What like, are you laughing at? Uh, yeah, are you watching the same movie yeah, I am?" Exactly. She's like, "What? You don't get it?" I'm like, "No, no. I think I get it. I just..." <laughs> Don't understand. No, you should have just said, "I get it." I just didn't think it was funny. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there there are about yeah. There, there to me, there was 
more groans and, and, and eye rolls than it was belly laughs. I, to be truthful, there were a couple of funny moments. And uh, as much as I believe was uh, 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 Lucy, Allison Bree's character, um, she was just – normally she's so gorgeous and she was, uh, she was in Community and she was in Mad Men and a few other yeah. different movies and TV shows. Gorgeous, absolutely stunning brunette. Um, but she should, couldn't even save this movie. <laughs> so oh, wow. anyway, that's what I got. Now for Love Camp number seven, <laughs> I, I have to ask. No, no I, I have to. I, oh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, now I saw the trailer because that's how, that's how we roll here. You, you tell me what you're watching and I look up the trailer yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and put it in for our, for our segment. I, I'm watching you it. You must have thought I was joking. I'm like, <laughs> Chris oh, joking oh, oh, me? Okay, because the trailer is two, like two and a half minutes long. Yeah. And there is so much nudity in this trailer. <laughs> I'm like thinking, is this some sort of soft? Is it softcore porn? It's, it's not. It, it's not soft. I mean, yes, there's nudity in it. For its time, it could have been considered softcore porn. It 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 falls under that category of exploitation right. filmmaking. So there. So it's not softcore. There's no. It's not. Well, hardcore. I mean, it's, it's not hardcore. It's it's soft, but it's like. Even though that's consi- what she said. Well, yeah, <laughs> even though considering its subject matter, it's not like it's. Too rough in the sex department. Okay, you know, so, so it's just a lot of boob and tit yeah, shots. Yeah, boob and tit shots. Like, tits, yeah, tits like, and shots. Like, yeah, and like you know, pawing each other somewhat unconvincingly. And, you okay, know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it's that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's. I had never. I had heard of this movie a couple times. Did you purchase this film? I did purchase it. Okay. Well, because, I hope you got it on a Black Friday deal or well, something. It, it is, here's the thing. Well, I've never seen it, so I can't say. I, it, I, I I've heard of this movie. Never saw it. In, or, Never would consider watching it until I heard Blue Underground put this out on, on Blu-ray. You know, okay. Blue Underground puts out like all these cult movies and stuff. Like, you know, it's run by Bill Lustig. So, uh, and, and they did a pretty good job with the transfer because it was from the camera negative. But I mean, what's interesting about the movie is that it's just, it, again, it's an exploitation movie. So it's exploiting something that you know, obviously, most people would probably say. Why would we want to put that on, on film? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, hey, come on. These guys are trying to make a buck in this business. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's completely – I mean you can't take it seriously. I mean right. for the time, I think maybe the 42nd Street audience that would have seen this movie would have taken it seriously. Now you look at it, you just go, uh, okay. Like there's a scene in there I think you saw it in the trailer yeah. where one guy gets stabbed up in the throat with a corkscrew. Yes. I mean you got to kind of – it's nicely done but you got to kind of laugh because that's kind of a ridiculous death sequence. <laughs> and truthfully, I won't post this on our, our, our Facebook page but I believe you can still see the full full movie. I, I Correct me if I'm wrong but I think you can still find a full movie on YouTube uh, unless it's been taken down I or – I don't think it's been put up there at all. I yeah. don't know. Because I, th- I thought I saw it. I didn't have a chance to click on it uh, to <laughs> – Investigate it further, yeah. Because sometimes, uh, especially if it's been just released on the Blu-ray or DVD, they'll yeah. take it off. But before you know, it'll, it'll yeah, be up there. I, I think I don't think it's up there because nobody's uploaded it yet, or maybe Blue Underground's keeping an eye on the whole bootleg yeah. aspect of it. But yeah. Because sometimes it'll, it'll say full movie, yeah. and then you'll click on it and it'll say, "Please, uh, yeah, pay, pay, subscribe, oh or whatever God, it is." No, don't so, do that. Don't yeah, do that. so don't yeah, don't do that. Um, but it, investigate if it you so if you just, so choose. It's just, I mean, you look at how. The audacity of it, and at the same time, it's like um, because there's a scene in there where they do, they have all these girls lined up, at, and Bob Cressy's as the the commandant doing his whole shtick, and um, you know he, he's so te- this was based on a true story, then. Well, I I don't know, <laughs> I mean, but he he's like telling them what they got to what what's going to happen to them and everything, and and then they take a hose to them, and and you know, and, and you think it would be just brutal, but it's just like a little garden hose just spraying at these guys. Just, oh, I mean, and they're overacting, they're falling over chairs. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like I mean, the one thing I will give it credit for is there's a shot in the movie where they they, they the the soldiers enter the camp with like their military. 
It, it looks pretty good, except if you look very carefully, you know it's being shot in the back alley of, of Bob Cressy's uh, office studios because you can see a modern day air conditioning sticking out of the window. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about. Like, like it says made in America. <laughs> well, it would be. But I mean, like, I mean, it, it is what it is. You have to ap- approach it like, yeah. I mean, it's not a genre that I'm really interested in at yes. all. You know, because I don't, I don't like the idea of the whole Nazi exploitation aspect yeah. of it. But I decided to check it out because you know it's been said this was kind of the first that did it. Today, it's like you can look at it and you can kind of go, okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's very wrong and and everything, but <laughs> but there's something about it that like you can kind of tell that the filmmakers on this were trying to do to to put some effort right. into it. The acting's okay, um, you know, and Bob Cressy is just. He's playing the evil character, but you just can't help but kind of sit there and laugh because it's just like the way how he plays it. Like, yes, so it sounds he, like a, a cartoon character. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, it's like imagine an episode of Hogan's Heroes, and you just take out the comedy <laughs> and you you put in the evil, quote unquote, you know, the the serious material. Yet because it just feels so low budget and everything, it's like it's uh, hard to take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. love when Cressy on there. He's just like overacting like crazy, and he's just like he's like you will watch, and it's like oh for God's sake. Uh. Bob, <laughs> what a nutcase! <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's it's it it's hard to recommend it. That's why I said you know it's in the middle. If you okay. if you want to be adventurous and check it out, <laughs> but don't go into it thinking. Let me put it this way, and this is going to sound so wrong, but I'll just say it anyway. If if you the audience happen to check Love Camp Seven out, keep this in mind. It's not Schindler's List, okay? <laughs> wow. It's not Schindler's List. I'm, and I'm not saying that to be horrible. I'm just saying, like, don't expect classy mess. Well, yeah. uh, a well-made movie that's trying to get a message out because right. it's, it's – So you're not going to expect Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley to walk through? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you, 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 you're doing best with Bob Cressy and his cartoonish <laughs> – a German accent. So, oh, but yeah, that's all I got on it. Sorry. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, I think that does it for our our, our triumph return of uh, our what we what have we watched segment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Chris, why don't you we take it away with your explanation of what grind horror films are? Uh, if people don't really know, well, what they are. you know, um, before my time, I was born in '84. But um, Grindhouse. Well, let's kind of go back. There was a little movie that was made by Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. It was called Grindhouse, and I'm, I. I, I I did see it play in theater, and I can't remember if you went with this. I know Mark was... Yeah, I don't, I don't recall. Well, that movie was basically Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez making, directing their own films and showing it as a double feature. Oh, okay. So, it was, so Rodriguez's film was Planet Terror, and Tarantino's was Death Proof. It was like a like like two two hour movies. I've double, seen both, but I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah, double build together. And the at the time, you know, it was such a novelty thing, but people don't understand the term grindhouse. No matter how much Quentin Tarantino tried to explain it to audiences out there in interviews and everything, but grindhouse to to to, to provide my explanation is basically they were movie theaters in Forty Second Street, New York City. Uh, also known as the Deuce, way back when, as some people would call it, um, there were theaters there, and during the late sixties, most of the seventies, and from the eighties up until the beginning of the nineties, Times Square had all these, all these movie theaters that played 
anything. And that's why they were called grindhouses because they were constantly grinding out movies. And all these theaters would play anything, you know, horror movies, exploitation movies, action movies, big budget movies, low budget movies, no budget movies, uh, kung fu movies, uh, porno. You know, I mean, it was like this. I, I think I, I don't know who, who said it best, but it was like if you were a movie buff – 42nd Street was like the era, the place you can go to because it's like what they said. There's a, a porno movie playing in one. There's a double bill of a horror movie on another one. There's one theater showing three kung fu movies back you know, to back, back <laughs> to back to back. I mean, so it, it was it was that type of era. But it was also 42nd Street. From what I have learned, hearing individuals who were there at the time uh, have said that it was also. Occasionally, a very dangerous place to be at because it was just where you know, basically where most of the low lives would be at. You Those know, hoodlums, you, hoodlums, or you know, and of course, <laughs> rampant drug usage and you know, um, you know, prostitution. And you, uh, Frank Kennenlauter, the director of Basket Case, he did an interview for um, uh, a documentary about the grindhouses back then. He he told a story how at the age of fifteen he was going to the grindhouses just to go see movies and he'd see guys dressed up as cowboys and he didn't know what that was and then someone told him dude they're all male hustlers <laughs> you know i mean it was like <laughs> like like that's a, and you in by the way if you want to see an example of that on film even though it's done by actors it's midnight cowboy you know mm-hmm. from 1969 so um so but the grindhouses they played all these low budget movies all these exploitation films mostly on double features uh, and this was at a time where, you know, someone said it best where they said if the movie was on 35 millimeter film, it had sprocket holes, and if it had playability, it would be shown at the theaters. No matter if it was good, bad, or whatever. No, no, Grindhouse, they, they were around from when did, when do you think their official birth was? Like the year uh, like well, 69, I, I, 70? I, I think, well, no, they had a lot of theaters there. So I think, I think from what I can gather is that the official birth of it, you know, it was the 50s where most of those theaters were at. Right. But – as the years went on and how things changed with like, you know, the antitrust in terms of, you know, because there was a time where it was hard for independent films to get shown in theaters up until the late 40s, early 50s, when there was the whole establishment of the antitrust where major studios couldn't own theaters and monopolize it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so I would say perhaps the grindhouse, the, the era of the grindhouse right. could probably have really began in, in like the early 70s. I mean, that's, that's my bet. Because that's what most people, if you think about it, when they see these movies, they tend to think of that era right. of the right. 70s. I, I want to figure, but I, I kind of figured that, but I want to get like maybe like an official, like, yeah, yeah. it's hard to put an unofficial date on it. It's hard to put an official date on it, but it, that's my cause guess. Because they ended, they, Kind of ended their run towards well, the mid-80s, right? Well, yeah, no. The grindhouses, all the theaters were closed down in the early 90s because, you know, 42nd Street became quite a run-down, dangerous area. And then, of course, now if you go to 42nd Street now, it's basically just this one big tourist attraction. You know, I mean, there's no more of the porno theaters or the the, the grindhouses. It's mostly big megaplexes or um, – there was one area I think that was turned into like a, a big musical stage. I forget which one it was. Yeah. But, you know, I mean and, – and of course, yeah, it all changed and everything. But uh, there is something about that era of just going into some <laughs> decrepit theater and seeing some some slimy double bill and, and, and just trying to, and being entertained by that. And, you know, and, and guys like Frank Hennenlauter, I'm, I'm name-dropping him quite a bit because I've heard his stories. He's told stories where he's gone to, you know, these theaters way back when. And it was always occupied by like weirdos and derelicts and just crazy audience members. He said he said they were so crazy that if the movie was awful, 
the audience would probably just not just boo the shit out of it, but they would probably get in the fights of each other. I mean, that's how bad it was. You know? it, it, oh, but, so the perfect cinematic experience. Yeah. Then. Well, <laughs> and to a certain extent, I think that's why Grindhouse, the movie that Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, had kind of failed in a sense because, you know, the intent of the Grindhouse was also an audience participation movie, you know, because – it's it would get that reaction from you, you know. Um, uh, a guy, a writer named Star Weissman, he wrote a movie called Fight for Your Life. It was a uh, an exploitation action film, and he said, you know, the great thing about watching the movies was that watching the audience, because if, he said if there was a scene where a little kid was running down like um, a corridor or whatever, and you cut to a shot of a guy chasing after him with a knife, you'd hear someone in the background go, he's got a knife, he's got a knife, watch out for the knife, kid. You know, he's like, he's got a knife. You know, I mean, oh. they were so reacting to the movie like they were actually there. But, but that's what I think because I, I remember when I saw Grindhouse, you know, the, the film I was talking about, uh, the audience that I was with that saw that movie did kind of understand the audience participation aspect of it. You know, like, like they knew when to boo at something and knew when to <laughs> say, yeah, yeah. Like there was a scene that they did where there was going to be a nude scene and then all of a sudden it cut to scene missing and everybody in the audience <laughs> were like, boo! <laughs> and then it cuts back to like, like, like there's a reel missing and all of a sudden the place is on fire and we were like, and everybody starts laughing and going, you know, what happened? <laughs> so yeah, it's, that's kind of, I guess you could say, the attitude behind it. So, so kind of like the scene from uh, Final Girls from a couple of years yes, ago where they're yes, in the theater. And they're, they're in the theater and they're laughing except, you know, this time it actually became a dangerous right, moment. Right. <laughs> so, but, yeah, so the intent of this was to sort of go back in time as it were. We, we jumped into our DeLorean and, or, or whatever, the Wayback Machine. We went back to 70s New York. We – Walk down the streets, making sure nobody was eyeballing us, hoping the you know, <laughs> you know, Christian those cowboys. <laughs> well, that or the muggers, dude. You don't want to get mugged out there. So, we went to the Anko Theater, where once you open that door, you got this whiff of piss that just assaulted you because the theater smelled like it hadn't been scrubbed down in a couple of days or whatever. Not sanitized Not for your sanitized protection. Not sanitized for your protection. Yeah, and we have a double feature of. The Headless Eyes from 1971 and I Drink Your Blood also from 1971. Mm -hmm, Um, Do you think we should roll a trailer for The Headless Eyes? I think we should. He called himself a collector. But what he collected meant someone had to die. A maniac is loose. Obsessed by an uncontrollable urge to kill. He's watching you. But when you see him, it will already be too late. Run and he will catch you. Hide and he will find you. When you give him the eye, he was very pretty. You're already dead.
Okay, Chris. I mean, you take it away, pal. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, I will take it away. Here we go. Uh, The Headless Eyes from 1971, written and directed by Kent Bateman. Uh, If there is one film that was tailor-made for the 42nd Street audience, it would be this film, The Headless Eyes. Shot on 16mm and blown up to grainy 35mm projection, The Headless Eyes is a perfect example of early 1970s low-budget filmmaking in New York, featuring a no-name cast wallowing about in the sword story like this, all the while being captured via via handheld camera work and very rough sound recording. It's Extremely. Kind of, right. It's kind of up there with Abel Ferreira's early cinematic debut, uh, The Driller Killer from 1979, except Ferreira's film actually had a little more going for it than this one. Actually, on a technical level, The Headless Eyes could be easily mistaken for one of Andy Milligan's zero-budget horror movies like Bloodthirsty Butchers and Torture Dungeon. In fact, The Headless Eyes managed to play as a double feature along with Milligan's horror escapade The Ghastly Ones from 1967 in quite a few 42nd Street screenings way back when. But The Headless Eyes wasn't, wasn't directed by Andy Milligan. Instead, it was written and directed by Kent Bateman. Now, that name might not sound familiar to you. But his last name should ring a bell, for he is none other than the father of successful performers Jason Bateman and Justine Bateman. Very big in the 80s. Right, right. And while Kent Bateman would later direct such family films like Land of No Return from 1978 – and The Rogue and the Grizzly from 1982, as well as directing one episode of Family Ties and four episodes of Valerie's Family, The Hogan's, which featured, yes, a young Jason Bateman. And, and, and what's her face? Justine Bateman yes, and yes. Family Ties. Right. It turns out Father Bateman's first foray in feature film production was this grungy little sleaze fest aimed for the derelict Times Square audiences. <laughs> well, honestly, that's not too much of a shock if you know anything about the low-budget film industry. In fact, there are quite a few interesting people who started out and exploitation films. Do you remember Earl Hindeman who played the neighbor Wilson in Home Improvement? Yeah. Yeah, well, he started out in low-budget black-and-white exploitation roughies like The Kiss of Her Flesh from 1968 and The Ultimate Degenerate from 1969, both of which were made by the legendary Michael Finlay and Robert Finlay. So with all that said, let's delve into the headless eyes. So the movie opens with Arthur Arthur Malcolm, played by Bo Brunden with deranged conviction, a starving artist breaking into a woman's rundown apartment so he can steal some money to pay off his rent. But when the woman wakes up and screams, Malcolm tries to shut her up and quickly explain his predicament to her. Well, as much as Malcolm might be a misunderstood artist, the woman could give a shit less about his problems and she proceeds <laughs> to struggle. As, as she struggles, the woman grabs a spoon on the table next to her bed and she shoves it in Malcolm's eye. The poor bastard then crawls away with his bloody orb hanging from the eye socket, <laughs> all the while screaming, my eye, ah, my eye, which is played like a loop over and over again in the opening title sequence. Bet you didn't see that coming. Right, right. Some time passes and Malcolm is now an eye patch wearing weirdo who has a fascination <laughs> with eyes. Gee, I wonder why. Well, you see... Ah, you get it? And I joke. You see, he can't see. Boo, folks. Yes, that's a big B with a lot of O's. Uh, anyways, well, you see, Malcolm takes his severed eye, takes these severed eyes, and places them either in blocks of ice or in clear plastic casings for his artwork. 
Then, when a drunken couple makes fun of Malcolm's art, he follows them home and proceeds to knock their skulls in with a hammer. Afterwards, Malcolm proceeds to kill a hooker who invited him to her place as she notices the blood on his hands. Of course, murder is nothing new to Malcolm. He's mostly stalking women and removing their eyes with a silver spoon. As the story slowly plods to reach its conclusion, will Malcolm's misogyny and insanity bring about his downfall? Well, that's the that's pretty much the story for the headless eyes. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's something. Um, oh, well, gosh. okay, I gotta say, I saw this movie. Not well. Here, here's the thing. This was recently released on Blu-ray from Code Red DVD. Uh, props to them for rediscovering this kind of lost movie in a sense because it, it, their transfer is not bad, but you know it's it's the classic existing thirty-five millimeter print. You know, yeah, it scratches, it's, it's, yeah, it pops and hisses yeah, all yeah, over the and, place, and, and faded color. Well, and the reason for that is because I, last I remember hearing was um, Bill Lustig who would later make movies like Maniac and Vigilante and, and Maniac Cop. Right. Uh, he worked as an uncredited PA on this movie. Okay. And he at one point was trying to find the film elements for this movie. I think the original 60 millimeter film elements. And I guess they got, they were lost. They couldn't be found. But so, I, so the fact that Code Red found an existing release print to transfer in glorious HD is, is a, is a miracle in itself. But this movie has been on video before because back in the eighties, Charlie Band, who was running Empire Pictures back then, he had a home video company called Wizard Video. And they used to put out these, you know, cheesy movies in these big video boxes. I don't know if you ever remember seeing yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. I remember the big boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how I first saw this movie. It was back in the late 90s when I would go to, like, all the old mom and pop video stores. Yeah. And there's this They're about big, three times the size of the video right, itself. Right, right, right. And there's this big box for headless eyes. And it's a woman – it's this garish image of a of a, of, of a woman – it's 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 the New York City background. It's at night with the woman wearing sexy lingerie lying on the ground with her hand, hand over her eye with blood coming out of it. And she's obviously dead. And then there's a – in the foreground, there's this big image of this you know dismembered eye and it says headless eyes. And you're like – you look at that and you go, wow, what's this movie about? You and know? then you pop it in. You and pop like, it in. Like, and this it, is not what the well, article suggested. This, <laughs> it wasn't what it was suggested. But I got to say for the time as a young kid, you know, watching these – Exploring these grungy little movies, it was kind of disturbing. But now watching it as an adult, it's, it's like, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you know? I, 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 um, I obviously watched it. You let me borrow it. Yeah, well, you had to watch it. For um, this. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck making anything up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not going to be like Dave, where he tries to swing it, swing it without watching a movie and <laughs> trying to review it. Although I got to say, he, he does a pretty good job to the extent yeah. where you almost believe that's what the movie was. Well, yeah. It, <laughs> We are hearkening back to our, our old several pod days where yeah, Dave yeah. Uh, j- hopped on our, our podcast, hopped on the podcast episode, and he had never seen any of the Puppet Master movies. Yes, yeah, and yeah. And we were yeah. just we were talking about all I think nine of them at the time Puppet Master movies, and Dave was just making shit up, yeah, like, he said, pulling a out, of, named, out of thin air. Yeah, there's a character named Milo, and after when he was done, I, I wanted to say to him, "Dude, what movie are you watching?" Because I, I think that sounded better than what we were actually watching at the yeah. time. So. But I digress. So I, I want to say that this film. To me, didn't have any like redeemable or likable characters oh, whatsoever. It didn't. it didn't. There, it was a there was a brief moment where, after he had killed the the drunken couple, um, <laughs> which by the way is some of the most ludicrous like special well, effects things. I know they had no money. I know, no, no. That was what I was gonna say. I was gonna say, uh, okay, let's set this up real fast. So there's a scene in, in the, where he's 
he takes his block of ice and he's removed like the eye from it. And he's, and he's got like a store window. So he's yeah. like, so he puts it there and he's just leaves it there and he's looking at it and he's kind of entranced by it. And there's this drunken couple that's, that's like drinking publicly and watching and making fun of him. And then he follows them back to their house. And, and what's odd about the scene is once we cut inside the house with the drunken couple, it's like they just sobered up pretty quickly. And then, the, and then, there's a knock on the door, and they just let the guy in. Yeah, they just let him inside the. T- right. <laughs> the and this, this old couple's like bickering about how, apparently how he didn't want to go out, but she forced him out. And yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Like, wait, you know, giving a little backstory to the to, to this, to this uh, couple that's been married a while and that are completely trashed and just obviously wearing. Clothes, oh, you wanted to go uh, to uh, uh, the clothes and and the style of the uh, the decade. Yeah, in, yeah. In oh, you question. wanted to go to the Zanzibar, but I didn't want to go to this. Yeah. <laughs> Talking almost exactly like that, uh, I, I'm like, "What the fuck?" And she and she'll, she answers the door, and he's standing there, like leaning up against the door. Yeah, and he's jam. like, and he's got like this nice you yeah. know, grin on his like, face. Like he's gonna, he's like, he's the urban cowboy. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love it too when he walks right in, and you get that shot of him holding that hammer from yeah. the back, and the guy's like, "Hi, I'm Harry Silver," and he just starts beating their heads in. So yeah, that was. I'm like. <laughs> It was like laughing it's, and just like crying at the same it's time. It's so wrong, but it's so. And so then we move on to that. So then well, wait, wait, oh, wait. I'm sorry, Before we on. move on to that, we should at least talk about the opening sequence because it. Ha- I don't oh. know what was going through Kent Bateman's head during I, this, I, but I, I love how he, he. So the main character, Malcolm Arthur Malcolm, this artist played by Bo Brunden, who I, I, I got to give credit. Bo Brennan does actually a pretty decent job playing deranged lunatic in this thing. So I think that's probably the one plus I'll give it here. Okay. But I I love when he breaks in and, you know, he, he needs money for rent, you know, because he's this artist. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, why don't you just go get an actual job, you know? But but he tries to shut this woman up by, like, you know, putting his hand – and she struggles. And then she just grabs that spoon and just is able to conveniently stick it in his eye. And how much force does she have to have behind that yeah. for, for a spoon? <laughs> and I, but I love when he when he's during the, this opening title sequence, he crawls out and he they, doesn't, no, he doesn't even fall out of a window. No, he he, he, fall, he crawls out and he tries crawling out of a window and then falls down a fire escape. Okay, but I love how they just keep repeating. This line of him saying, "Oh my eye, oh my and, and, and they cut up to a close-up of the most ostentatious, like, like crappy, like eye thing they could possibly have. Yeah, 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 out. yeah. It looks like totally something that you know you would uh, a kid would wear for his Halloween costume. I know, but I, I, I convincing, very but, unconvincing. But what I love about it too is this crowd of people comes up around him, and no, there's no horrible scream from a from a woman yeah. that's shocked by this. They all just look at him like, and they just walk. Like, no, no, they just look at him like, gee, what's going on here? I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just how New York was back in the seventies, <laughs> where somebody gets killed or whatever, and they just go, "Well, I don't know." What Somebody's do. got an eyeball hanging on their sock, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's just, I love how. So, so now he's become so deranged. You know, it's all about eyes with him now. So now we obviously talked about the scene where the old couple gets killed. Yeah. So then after that, he's walking down the streets with blood on his hands, and yeah. once again, no one else noticed. Yeah. Except this hooker. <laughs> yeah, who she you now? Now in her in her defense, she befriended him, saying, "Hey, come yeah. on, let's 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 cut, let's clean you up a little bit." And then, what does she get for for his uh, for for her for her troubles? She gets killed by him in the yeah. apartment because she because she says that he's a prostitute. And yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah. apparently, starving artists with one eye have like you know have have a certain decorum that they have to follow. Well, I, and I love it too. First, what he does is he pushes her aside, and he's about to leave, and then he just sees a knife laying there. He just picks it up, and he just decides to walk over and then stab 
her. Right. And then put her in a bathtub and just have her bleed to death. I mean, as as awful as it is, there is some strange, disturbing viciousness that's going on in this right. movie, even though technically speaking, it's not, you know, fantastic filmmaking. But right. Holy uh, shit. And then there's can, something can, about can you it. explain the scene that comes up next is that or I think maybe in a scene or two later, they're, they're outside the apartment building and there's a, 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 a news reporter. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, a, like a, a huge crowd of people are like, like, the, like, you know, like somebody important had just passed away or been yeah. killed and, you know, like John Lennon or something. And this and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we don't know what happened. And we're looking into it, and all these people are asking questions, and you know the the the, the reporter, and you see you know um, the, um, Arthur or whatever yeah, in yeah, the background, Malcolm, yeah, you know, and, he's, and he's standing there in the crowd. Yeah, and I'm like, they're trying to do this thing where it's like the killer is there, just it's just because he blends in with everybody else, right. or you think he does. And I will give that scene credit. There is something about that particular scene that feels like a you know a, a, a documentary newscast where they're right. trying to do this thing, but at the same time, it just. It just seeps over how the rest of the movie is shot. Right. <laughs> it's, it's this movie. I I, I swear in God's name. It, like I said, you could mistake in this for an Andy Milligan movie. Andy Milligan was a guy who, who lived in Staten Island, and he um, he made these low budget movies on sixteen millimeter. And he used the camera known as the Aricon, and it was basically a sound on film camera. It was like the video camera of its time, where. You could record sound on the film as opposed to doing it separate system because in, in professional 35 yeah, or professional 16 millimeter, it's called single system. You have one camera and you have one sound recording and then you have that slate board and, you know, and, the, and the camera has to be crystal sync with the, with the Nagger recording. But the Aricon was like a 16 millimeter newsreel camera used during World War II where you could be there and shoot interviews with people and shoot the sound directly on the film. Yeah, just like your normal camcorders of today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the problem is is that that was used for things like interviews. That wasn't used to be made for feature-length filmmaking. Sure. So when you watch Annie Milligan's movies, it has like rough sound recording. Sometimes whenever there was a cut to a next angle, you can hear the soundtrack uh, just do like this weird – like when you turn the camera off, I think it was the sound – slows down so you'll hear it go <laughs> and then it cuts to the next shot it, it kind of did that in this movie so I have a strange feeling they shot this on an Aricon because whenever they cut to the next shot there's always like a like a you know, like a slowed down yeah. sound in the, in the and, and if you know, I mean, when you notice when you do watch this film, if you if you do, um, if that you want to, or if you want to, because <laughs> um, we're not really selling it too hard. But um, the the shots change in quality from like actually from scene, even within the scene, from shot to shot. You know, right, right. You know, like they'll be doing like a, like a, a POV shot, and they'll come back to the close up or something like that, and it, it's it's almost like the film doesn't really match that yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, well, like, there's a shot in this movie, and the story I heard about this movie was that uh, um, after Kent Bateman shot the movie, the producers went and had some additional stuff shot. There's a scene that happens later. And it's during the middle of this interview sequence, which I, I mean, it's kind of not a bad sequence, but it just felt like why is it in this in this scene where as the interviewer is talking to various people, and Malcolm all of a sudden starts seeing some person's woman's hand coming up over, over by a stairwell, and then it cuts to a shot of him running upstairs in this uh, on top of this roof where this right. woman is doing uh, laundry, and he attacks her and kills her, 
and then it cuts back to the interview, and, and it's supposed to give the impression that um, you know Malcolm's dreaming something, but it just it doesn't feel right. It, it feels like he ran away during that whole news sequence, killed something, and came back down, and was like, "Hey, what's up?" But that sequence actually looks like that was filmed on thirty-five because it's it's less grainy looking. Because when you blow up from sixty millimeter to thirty-five. You know, you blow up 60 millimeter, it's smaller frame rate. So you blow up 35, it increases the grain. Right. But that sequence where he's up on the roof, it looks like they shot that on 35. So that could have been one of the scenes that they shot, the producer shot later after Kent Bateman was okay, done. So no pickup shot. Then. Yeah, pickup shot. And, it, and it, I got to be honest, it looks better than the rest of the whole damn exactly, movie. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, so now, okay, after the we get the the interview or the 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 the, the news reporter done. Yeah. There, uh, there is yeah. Are you going to talk about the the strange woman sitting in that rocking chair? <laughs> that, and, but I wanted to gloss over that because I didn't understand really that too much. Yeah, I didn't get it either. But it was kind of creepy, right? But the point then you then you start hearing you know like like voiceovers and things like oh you know the the the, the, the killer is still on the loose. Yeah, you know nobody knows what's going on, and then you see him. <laughs> In a graveyard in well, the middle of the day. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Well, wait, wait. We got to hold that because there's, there's one part we did kind of skip over. Okay. So, so when he's done during the interview, when the newscast is done and, and the, the woman's body is taken out, he starts walking down and he sees this old woman in the rocking chair who's got, who had to have been out of her mind saying, you know, I know who did it. And he's yeah. – and for some reason, Malcolm just becomes – starts, starts, Yeah, he starts getting paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, who did it, old lady? He says, I love how he says, too. He says, who did it, old lady? And she yeah. goes – and she keeps saying it. And now all of a sudden, he just starts running down the street like someone's you on te- him. <laughs> and you could tell he's really struggling with with trying to keep that accent hidden. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the yeah, stuff yeah. he says. But, but, yeah. but he ends up – and then he ends up seeing this – you know, fairly nice, attractive-looking blonde girl that he ends up following in this building, and it turns out this blonde girl is like trying to rehearse. No, no, yeah. she wants to be in some movie. Yeah. And 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 and, uh, <laughs> and 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 by the way, I love it too. She, it's one of those scenes where she has to talk to some sleazy guy behind a desk, and you think you're going to get a nude scene because you do see her unbutton her shirt, <laughs> and then it just cuts back to Malcolm standing outside the office trying to overhear things, and then it cuts back in the office, and I guess the nude sequence is over, yeah. which I'm sure made all the audiences in 40 seconds we boo the shit out of it. So, but so <sighs> then, so then he keeps following her, and then she starts getting paranoid. And then he, of course, runs away. But for some reason, he wants to try to get this girl's address. And he knows that he can get it by going into the office. Right. Because she gave her address and contact information and her resume. So he goes up there and he gets in the office and he manages to find the info. But then all of a sudden, some middle-aged female secretary comes in there and finds him in there. And he and he panics and he begs her not to, to tell on him. Right. But then – she pushes that eye patch off, and all of a sudden, he does a complete one eighty, and he just kills her. And <sighs> that's—I got to be honest—that scene, uh, it feels so unnecessary. There's something yeah. wrong with it because yeah. even though like none of the characters are likable, yeah. I felt so bad for that woman getting choked by her own pearls. Yeah, that's, well. <laughs> it just felt so wrong. <laughs> it felt so wrong. <laughs> and then he takes that spoon and removes her eyes. Oh, there's got to be a more effective, uh, I mean, way to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, oh my god! And, so, and, and, then, and then we get the insertion, the, which feels very odd. Is we get an ex-girlfriend? 
Oh, oh yeah. Earlier on, it was. It oh yeah, was, sorry. It, yeah. yeah, no. Earlier on, it was, it was like an ex girlfriend. Yeah, and I guess she was rich or whatever. Yeah, and, and after the accident, he didn't want anything to do with her. Yeah, anybody. yeah. He, he became a complete like uh, uh, extrovert and didn't want anything, he didn't want anything to do with her. He didn't want. Yeah, anything. it's it, honestly it's a plot line that goes nowhere. Yeah, literally, <laughs> it, it goes nowhere. I thought maybe he was going to kill her, but he doesn't even kill her. Oh I mean, my god! But you should you should mention the okay. Yeah, so we should get to the graveyard scene. Oh yeah, actually because kind this, of interesting. because this it's, made it, me laugh. Well, <laughs> and it, I know it's. Shouldn't it, have. It, 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 and here's the other thing too. You mentioned it was in the day. I I think they were trying to do some day for night, but it didn't quite work out very well. Because, yeah, so, it, anyways, it, go looked ahead. At, it looked at like noon yeah, uh, yeah, on, yeah, a, yeah. on a Tuesday. Right. And, and so so we so we see uh, poor Arthur here. He's digging the grave, and then we happen upon just out of the blue, this the plain clothes police officer comes up with a gun and says. I know who you are. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna haul you downtown. Yeah, and that's the thing too. We see this police officer in the interview sequence. Yeah, and he he said he he got on his trail. Uh, um, but you're th- sitting there thinking, so wait a minute, how how did you figure out it was this guy? I mean, like, how maybe talk to the old lady. Well, <laughs> he might have, but I because I, it's so funny. He's like, yeah, I finally got on your trail. And it's yeah. like. What trail? Yeah, the, yeah. Dude, you guys, like, what made you think it was this guy? <laughs> and, and, and there's absolutely no setup to it. But, like, you see him, like, you see this police officer, like, maybe, like, home in the files or at the police department, like, looking. Yeah, through, yeah. Through, so, something. It gives you something that he's working on something. It's supposed to be a surprise, but it's just such a lame surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're supposed to pr- surprise the the main character you're not supposed you're not supposed to surprise the audience with well the, the, to a certain extent you are but it, it has to feel plausible yeah, the, it yeah, doesn't so, feel plausible but my, at one all. of my favorite lines he like mutters or this I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but he's like oh yeah good old Ch- no one's gonna believe it, but good old Chucky he's gonna bring in the, the the you know the eye you know the eye the headless eye killer whatever it is <laughs> he's like nobody will believe it I'm gonna I'm gonna be big you know I'm gonna get my promotion and like this guy is going on and on and, and, and I gotta tell you this how this guy found. Arthur's character, whatever, but you know, at the same time, he ends up being the dumbest police officer oh. ever because when he tells him to get out, he reaches down to help him out, and then all of a sudden Malcolm just pulls him down and then starts hitting yeah. him right. and then takes a shovel and whacks the cop over the head and then well, there you go, he yeah. kills him. And yeah. and by the way, I mentioned off off air about this. I love how the music score in this <laughs> It's There's a, a music store. A music store. <laughs> well, it's a combination of stock music and this weird. There's a there's a weird score in here that I swear, in God's name, it was done by taking a microphone and aiming it at a flushing toilet because <laughs> it goes. You know how when you flush the toilet, it just flushes down. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounded like at one point. And for years, I mean, well, not for years, but whenever I've seen this movie, because I. I I did make a – after um, seeing it back in the 90s, you know, running it on the video, I did make a copy of it on tape. This was back when you actually could buy um, a two-deck VCR machine. Yes. I actually had one of those where you could have one where you play it and the bottom you can play yep. another tape, but you can also record that yeah. as well. I, was, I, I, I had something more old school. I had just two VCRs lined yeah, up yeah, yeah. And, and did it like that right. until but, they started putting those copy guards and everything. Yeah, but it, it – I remember and – I, and I would see this movie, you know, a couple of times over the years and forget about it. But every time when I'd seen it, that weird music score, that wow, 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 that sounds like a toilet being flushed, <laughs> for some reason sticks out because it's like 
if that's all it takes to create a, a weird, like, offbeat score, then you know what? I'm going to do that, too. I'm just going to take a toilet and just go... Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a toilet being flushed oh, at one God. point. So, but um, anyways, back to the whole thing. Now, by the way, we're not really sticking too much to this because this movie has the thinnest storyline right. ever. Because, okay, so then a- after this, he goes back to his shop. Yeah, yeah. And he's sitting in his... In his this, like I don't know, like two hundred by two hundred square foot, you know, like studio. Yeah, yeah. And this woman comes in uh, like, yeah, out of yeah, the blue yeah. again. N- these characters are n- they're never really flushed out or or at they all. They just show up. They just show up. They and it's like they're in and out and they're like whatever. So this this brunette shows up and she's like you know like a starving artist too and she wants to like work with them or yeah, or she's just going to school. Go, I think, yes, yeah. going to school. And so then she's – he's like very you know put off by her and she's like trying to convince him. And so she's like, she ends it, the, the scene by saying, hey, look, I'm going to be at such and such a place. I'll be doing some like artistic whatever under the bridge right. or whatever. Well, the weird thing about that is is that – and I, I will say there is one part in this movie that, that kind of works. It's where she leaves him a note because she's trying to – because he's upstairs, right. and she, when we first see her, she's trying to talk to him, but he doesn't want to come out from behind the curtain. Right. And then, you know, all of a sudden, he once again he's having some weird moment where, like, he he hears that that loop sound effect of my eye, my eye, and then it cuts outside. I don't know where they shot this at in New York, but it was actually pretty neat looking. It had to have been this huge church area, but he's out in this empty street. And it's like shot in this weird handheld. They're trying to yeah. do like some weird art film scene, and he and he's up against this big building with these huge doors. Huge. That's he. No, they're huge. I'm not kidding. Yeah. But those are some knockers. Yeah, some <laughs> knockers. Yeah, but he. And it's actually kind of a decent sequence. It felt like there was something about it that kind of worked, but you know. But then all of a sudden we get to this weird. Um, I guess you can say romance aspect where maybe this girl will like kind of be the one to taper uh, Malcolm's insanity. Bloodlust or whatever. Bloodlust or insanity, yeah. his, his eye obsession because, you know, at first he's kind of apprehensive to, to talk to her. But then he begins to sort of talk to her yeah. and then there's like this OK scene where he meets her at this um, – Like park almost. Park like, and there's a lighthouse under, out under there. Under a bridge, yeah. 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 And, and it's um, – that this this is probably the, the the best scene of the entire film. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and they're and they're and they're walking and they're along the shore and you by, by the lighthouse. She gives him like a, a ticket. She goes, "It's a free event for you know art students to to show work, but you still need a ticket to get in." So he grabs like this really low rent like ticket that looks like it's just a, like a post it note with like uh, words on it saying you know one admittance one to yeah, the, yeah, yeah. to the art fair, <laughs> and I'm like okay, uh, so he takes it. They they they. They leave. We never see her again. Yeah, because because we – that's the weird thing about it is that you'd think that when introducing her character, maybe she'll be some kind of um, – I guess you can say like uh, like, a, like a crux to help him out right. or whatever. Right, right. But, but again, she was she was there. She was gone. And she's, yeah, she's just gone. And, 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 and truthfully, it doesn't matter because what happens next is truly bizarre. Yeah, because he uh, decides to go and find that blonde-haired woman that he got the address from in that, 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 that casting agent's right. office. And he – I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I just <laughs> – I, I, I just love how wacky it is. He, he goes up there and it turns out she's involved in some kind of – we think maybe she's involved with like drugs or whatever because she's on the phone and they're talking about money. And a package. And, that a, and, and a package of some sort. So, Which could be anything. Yeah, it could be anything, yeah. <laughs> and he – you know, and he chases her down and, and he ends up like following her. 
which is by by, by far the the cheesiest chase scene. It's the ever. cheesiest chase scene ever. But you know what? I gotta say, for shooting a, a chase sequence in in a car in New York City, yeah, and to get the angles that they got. Uh, okay, I'll give them credit. They tried. Yeah. I mean, it kind of works. But again, that's where the 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 the, the film uh, grade uh, changes from shot to shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> between. Well, you know, they were probably shooting these on short ends. And yeah. Those are not virgin film stock. <laughs> if you can, if you know what short ends are, so yeah. so um, but uh, before we continue, I have to say I was this movie. I mentioned uh, in my little synopsis the the Driller Killer yeah. by Abel Ferrara. And Abel Ferrara were going to make better movies like MS-45 and Bad Lieutenant. Um, but it kind of has the same storyline as this. And there's another movie that has the same storyline as this, and that's 1980s Maniac, with, right. p- directed by Bill Lustig, who is an uncredited PA on this right, film. Which you mentioned before, yeah. Now, but Bill Lustig claims that, and I don't doubt him, I don't doubt him, but I mean, like, he said that the inspiration for Maniac came from Jaws because someone told him, why don't you put the shark on land? And then he – That's it's, – it's plausible. Yeah, yeah. But when I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking, wow, Maniac did this so much better like 10 oh, years it, later. Oh, it yeah. did. And here's the strange thing about it too. The reason why I think it's so similar is because in Maniac, which had the killer played by Joe Spinell. And later in the remake by Elijah Wood. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to say I like Joe Spinell better. But uh, that's my opinion. But yeah. anyways, there's a moment in Maniac where he ends up taking a liking to this – really attractive woman played by Caroline Monroe and it's kind of like the same thing as this right. and I was like wait this feels like Maniac yeah. all over but again Maniac did it better yeah. but uh, but also with, with the Driller Killer and Maniac they both involve artist characters mm-hmm. in Driller Killer Abel Ferrara plays, plays an artist um, who's behind on rent and everything, <laughs> and, he, and he ends up killing people. With a but yeah, it's a shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that that shark on land thing. He was told. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and Lustig said he kind of understood what what he thought by that, but he realized I can just turn the shark into a psycho killer. So yeah. basically, that's what it was. But, yeah. but anyway, I, I get it. I, I get what they're they're trying to go for. But yeah. yeah but anyway, so so yeah, so once. Um, this this blonde woman gets out of the car and she's alone in this alleyway. Which uh, okay, again, it's New York City, in the middle of the day. Yeah, and there's like no, it's like there's a fucking ghost there. town. I mean, like, yeah, well, it could have been a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, in the meatpacking industry area. Right, uh, right. Uh, it's some meatpacking area, and I love how the killer. Bounce, you can walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love how the killer. He's like hiding behind a bunch of garbage cans, and he just pops up. And just, yeah, he's the worst hider ever. <laughs> And, and again, the weird music score. I mean, it's just such a weird score. I mean, I, don't, I, I think I read a review from this where someone said that the score, the score for this movie, either is appealing or it causes people to run out from the well, seats. <laughs> as of this recording, Internet Movie Database gives the people who watch this film gave it four out of ten stars. Oh wow! Yay! Uh, hey, whatever you know. So, 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 and and so, anyway, so Malcolm chases her in this like. Meatpacking uh, warehouse. <laughs> That's no euphemism. Yeah, yeah, no euphemisms here, folks. But he, they, she ends up hiding in this um, um, meat locker, and then he gets inside there, and eventually he he kills her and removes her eyes, and then he gets locked in there. He gets locked in there, and I, 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 I look. I've never worked in a, in a meatpacking plant before right. in my life, but I don't. I, do those cool? Do those. Storage doors have locks on them. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they do, but I, didn't, I thought they were like you had to lock them from the outside or whatever. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I've been inside coolers before. Yeah. 
but I've always I, I don't know how you would lock it and like you said unless there was a key or some sort of yeah. like, thing but it, it could the door could have gotten stuck but I don't think you're going to freeze. It's not like a sub-freezer. Yeah, I was going to – because he freezes and, to death and, in I mean, there. And, and talk about one of the most anticlimactic endings like ever. Oh, I know. It's like uh, you'd think the police would be on his trail now. Yeah. But no, all of a sudden he just goes going crazy and then he's talking about how he's not finished yet, quote unquote. And then it cuts to obviously days later. He's like frozen to death in there. And again, how that happened, whatever. Yeah, I but, mean I, I could see you get it being cold in there. It's it, it's cold, but I don't think it's like sub-zero temperatures. But again, I don't I, – I'm not but – But I love how the, the two meatpacking guys walk in, open the door, and then he, the guy falls yeah. over and it's the end. Yeah. The end. Finn. <laughs> Finn. <laughs> I'm like, OK. You just saw – Chris, what the fuck uh, did you just have me watch for the last hour and 15 minutes? Hey, man. This – hey. <laughs> hey, man. It, it wasn't great, but – to, you've, you, you've heard of that um, – um, uh, it was like an MGM-produced thing. It was called That's Entertainment. Uh, vaguely. They, they, vaguely. Yeah. They do like, it's like, like That's Entertainment. Right. Well, hey, that's exploitation. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's – I mean, I, 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 again, for a first film endeavor for Kent Bateman – you know, okay, yeah, yeah it's, it's a grungy little movie where there's not, it didn't seem like there was a lot of effort involved. But this was the type of movie that played in drive-in screens yeah. and uh, and uh, the 42nd Street audience. I mean, this is the type of film that kind got, of, got, I guess... A lot of women got pregnant during this film. It, well, <laughs> maybe. Or, I mean, it's amazing because this film has been... Uh, people who who said they've seen this said this film got a lot of play in 42nd Street. And many people nowadays think it got a lot of play because nobody saw it. No, it got a lot of play because either it got booked a lot or just it made some money. But well, I'm hoping that that and obviously uh, this you know Bateman's career continued after this and he made more money. So hey, hopefully if, he made some money off if this. If I ever saw, it, I would love, I would love to meet Jason Bateman <laughs> so I can have this move. And, and it would be it'd be such a funny scenario. Imagine meeting Jason Bateman and you say to him, "Hey man, your dad made." One of the f- most insane movies I've ever seen, The Headless Eyes, and then whip out your copy and get him to get. Can you get your dad to autograph this? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's got to be something about this movie because, like I said, this played in 42nd Street for years, and then it was shuffled off the home video through Wizard Video from Charlie Band, and then you know you can find this on YouTube. Well, I'm certain, right, but it's right. Do you think? I mean, I'm. You know, maybe I'm not worrying about the stuff or thinking about it too much. But when all these when these movies like this get bounced around from like the different movie theaters and the different production companies that put the film out, do they does he see any of that uh, like royalty stuff? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. Maybe not. I mean, back when well, back when you were starting out, I don't think anybody was like worried about royalties yet. I mean, that was kind of like even for low budget standards, right. that was kind of like out of the but, cards. But, but but you figure by the eighties, if your name is on it, you yeah, know, maybe. 80s, or, 90s, but then some of these guys that made these, they sometimes they forgot about them. You know, I, there's a guy who um, because yeah, because they're cranking them out so many. Well, different... well, also because you know they've moved on to other things, and they're not, I mean, Fred Olin Ray when he made. The Alien Dead and Scalps and Biohazard, you know, his first three movies, you know, he he kind of got screwed out of those movies by distributors. So and, you know, people would ask him about it years later and he'd kind of forgotten about those movies because he moved on to bigger and better things. And he got a little wiser about the business and right. how he can handle himself. You know, now, of course, Fred got those three movies back and he put them out on Blu-ray himself and everything. He, I mean, but because people keep asking him about it. And he said it was funny because he said when people would ask about it, he like with scalps, you know, 
he'd, he'd say, geez, what is it about this movie? I mean, he said, I did this movie with just trying to get my, my name out there and prove I can make a movie and then I can make something better. I mean, he's like, why do you like scalps? This is an awful movie. You know? <laughs> but he, when he thinks about it, he said there's something about these movies that people come back to. And, you know, yeah, they may not be good. They may not be great. But there's something about it that, that I guess you can say fits for a party audience. Now, as for the headless eyes, I don't see that as being a party audience. Yeah. But, but it, it, there's something about the movie that that – for some reason, gets rediscovered or reevaluated, or like it's seen well, again. It's I, what it, I mean. I guess from from just a um, maybe for an art st- or for a film student uh, looking to see for like purely like historical uh, point of reference, or just you know how to do things, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or how things were done, yeah, yeah. Or, it, it would or, be or, worth a viewing, or or looking at it and going, I can't believe someone made this yeah. movie. <laughs> Why like, is my shit getting picked up? <laughs> how did this movie get made? I mean, and by the way. You know, if you venture back, listeners, you venture back to our our Thanksgiving episode from last year, <laughs> where we criticized these guys making this awful movie called Thanks Killing Three. You know, and and they got paid. Yeah, they got paid. And and I'm I'm not defending Headless Eyes, but I'm 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 a little understanding towards it, even though it's not a good movie. The difference between Headless Eyes and <laughs> Thanks Killing is that. Headless Eyes, even though it's not a good movie at all, you you do get the feeling that even though the filmmakers had very little equipment, very little quality film stuff, they were trying to do something to get into the business. Right. You know, and yeah, it ended up being not a very good movie. Nobody intends to make a bad movie. It's That's actually very, that is it, very true. It, That's it, very it's true. it's very unwise to say to yourself. I mean, people think it's kind of cool in a metal way to try to make a bad movie, but it's kind of unwise to do that because then it's like, yeah, it's a bad movie, but you know, what what are you going to gain out of it? As opposed to Thanksgiving three made by two guys who were like, yeah, we're going to intentionally make a horrible movie. Well, that that you have the, all the the, the the sci-fi like monster shark movies to, to thank for, yeah, for all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They purposely set out to make a cheesy, silly movie. Yeah, but I guess I, can, I guess you can see the entertaining value yeah. behind it. I mean, like Sharknado. Yeah, there is something. Oddly entertaining about it the is movie, entertaining, even though it's completely stupid. It's and, trash, yeah, it's but yes, trash. I guess you could say trash cinema where Headless Eyes yeah. falls into. But and again, if I had a choice, would I rather watch Thanks Killing Three or The Headless Eyes? Honestly, I'm going to go for The Headless Eyes. I'll go I, with getting kicked in the balls. <laughs> well, you don't always have that choice. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, but yeah, that whole that that that, that is a that, that is Sophie's choice right there. Yeah, yeah. Now, why would you want to do? I mean, at least you. At least this movie doesn't kick you in the balls too much. No, I mean, I don't. For me, I don't think I don't, there's a, a huge replay value in it. Oh, of course. But it's, it was. It, it was. It, 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 it is what it is. Yeah, you know? it's it's not a good movie in in a good movie sense. If you want to see a weird movie, and like I said, if you want to see better movies that were made like it, The Driller Killer and Maniac. Maniac yeah, I mean those are those. I would say would be the better films okay. that you could say. Uh, evolve from something like well, Headless Eyes, depending on how you want to hear how, this, the, yeah. how those movies and, came and just about. Going back to I want to see our first season when we did our um, the, um, the 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 was it the the the, um, the religious goth episode. We we, we did uh, God told me to and um, yeah, God told me to and frailty. Yeah, frailty. I really enjoyed God told me to because that was one of those like low budget but very. Um, Unique kind yeah, of film. Yeah, it, it was unique because it, it and good. So, well, too, and it was written and directed by a guy, Larry Cohen, who really liked 
what he was shooting for, you know? Like, I'm certain he knew that even though they didn't have a lot of the resources, he was going to do his best with it. And the movie does speak for itself. Even though it is low budget, you do get the feeling that the people behind it did what they could and they came out with a very – a fairly well-made for its time movie. Whereas, again, with The Headless Eyes, yes, it's a crappy, (laughs) low budget, 42nd Street made movie that – would only appeal to that a, kind a certain of demographic, yeah. yeah. A certain... But at the same time, there is something about the movie that, no matter how not good it is, there is something about it that 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 has this unusual, disturbing quality to it. And I use quality in a loose sense, but but <laughs> it, it 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 is an oddly disturbing movie, yeah. even though it's not very good. So I mean, so, <laughs> so that's all I got in the headless eyes. Yeah, uh, um, I don't think you've got much. I, I feel like I need to take a silkwood shower after yes. this. And well, I did tell you in that text message. Yes, you, you did. Were you going did. To need I, to take I, a shower. And, 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 I, and yes, but you know, a silkwood shower is not as calm and relaxing as you know one might think. Oh yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I got one fun fact. I believe you even touched upon. This. Yeah, but you can go ahead. Yeah, and mention uh, it. the uh, the film was released in 1971 as a double feature with the ghastly ones. Yeah, and. Um, like I said, you'd think it was made by the same filmmaker, <laughs> but yeah. it was not. <laughs> I, I think I, – I, what's your uh, uh, thumbs up? Well, thumbs up? like I said, it's not a good movie, but for its sheer ridiculous entertainment value, lack thereof, but whatever, it's 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 – and because this is one of those movies I checked out during my my my, my – Late '90s childhood. Yeah. I am going to give it a thumbs in the middle because I um, understand on the one hand that it's not good, but on the other hand, there is something about the movie that's kind of ridiculously disturbing about yeah, it. So I, I'm gonna, I'm thumbs sorry, in the middle. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm going to have to give this one a thumbs. No, down. that's fine. Uh, that's but, fine. I mean, yeah. Did you not think I saw that coming? I saw. It yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should have like a freight train. It wasn't very. No, bu- no believe me. When I put this in the bag <laughs> you know, like, and put it at your door, I was like, you're like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you thought Thanks Killing Three? What you're <laughs> no, no, come on, no. <laughs> no this kidding, movie was a step up over Thanks Killing Three, even though it's still a step down. You know, oh, it's no. like one step up, but you're still one step down. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, saying, yeah, no, I'm kidding. No, that's uh, fine. I don't care. But uh, it's not like it's not like this is my favorite yeah, movie. No. So. <laughs> I, I think we can safely put the one-eyed artist to yeah. rest in an ice. And <laughs> if you want to take a risk on it, Code Red DVD, put this out on Blu-ray. So you know, I mean, if it's it's if it's up your alley. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, but anyways, so I, uh, we should move on to our second feature. Yes, yes. That so, I think we would probably agree that it was certainly be- – this one was certainly better made. <laughs> yes, yes. I definitely could definitely tell it had a production value. A little. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> smidge. Uh, so why don't we roll that trailer for I Drink Your Blood, also from 1970. Your blood will make your blood curdle 
and your skin crawl. <laughs> but you will sit there and suffer through the tortures of the damned. takes place in I Drink Your Blood. Can you take it? If you have a strong constitution, we challenge you to test it and sit through. I Drink Your Blood. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. Uh, satanic hippies. Satanic Yay. hippies and bloodletting and violence. Hey. Yes. Uh, Take it away. All right. Well, I <laughs> drink hippie. your blood from. Well, Tim said 1970, but I had a date for 1971. But that's okay. Oh, did so, I say 1970? Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay. So, I drink your blood. Written and directed by David E. Durston. Um, when one approaches a movie titled I Drink Your Blood, at first glance, you would think this little piece of drive-in horror would contain a thin storyline featuring plenty of bloodletting made by a cast and crew of questionable talent that was thinking only about the bottom line. Well, surprise, surprise, I Drink Your Blood is a fairly well-handled, low-budget affair featuring an interesting premise that is handled by a, f- by a game cast. It certainly is a fun little piece of cult horror by David Durston, a man who not only made just this one horror movie, but also made very few movies in general. Starting out in the 1950s as a television writer, Durston's first foray into feature-length filmmaking began with Felicia in 1964, which was based on a paperback book of the same title written by Durston himself. (coughs) Sadly, Felicia wasn't given much of a theatrical release, but Durson was later summoned by Turkish producer Ulvi Dogan to rework Metin Erskine's melodrama Dry Summer <coughs> uh, from 1964, which won the Silver Bear Award at the Berlin International Film oh, Festival. Wow. Yeah, uh, Durson was brought in to re-edit the movie so it could be released by American exploitation distributors under the titles Reflections and I Had My Brother's Wife. So, <laughs> so trying, to re- trying to rework it as a sexploitation <laughs> movie. So. His next foray into motion pictures was The Love Statue from 1965, which involved LSD, and The Blue Sextet from 1971, which which was a soft X-rated movie with a story told in flashback inspired by Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon from 1950. Then in 1971, Durson was called on by independent producer-distributor Jerry Gross to make a horror film in a similar vein as Night of the Living Dead, but featuring something new and unique – 
Durston came upon a news story involving a small Asian village suffering from a rabies epidemic. When Durston felt this could make a good idea for a horror movie, Gross jumped on board. The final result was originally shot under the title Phobia, but not only did Jerry Gross believe the title wasn't saleable, but he also purchased a little stinker of a movie called Zombie from 1964 that he wanted to retitle I Eat Your Skin so he could release it on a double bill with Durston's movie. Therefore, Phobia was rechristened as I Drink Your Blood and released with an X rating for violence. Despite the X brand, I Drink Your Blood became a drive-in hit and was and has been re-released theatrically as well as on DVD and Blu-ray through Grindhouse Entertainment. Compared to The Headless Eyes, Durston Film certainly wins out on originality and gruesomeness as well. <laughs> oh, and cheesy thrills, too. So, <laughs> so – I Drink Your Blood begins in the woods late at night and we see a satanic cult led by Horace Bones, played by Bashkar, and they are about to partake in a nude orgy. But the orgy is rudely interrupted by the watchful eyes of a young girl named Sylvia Banner, who is quietly invited by the novice cult member Andy, played by Tide Kearney. The next day, Sylvia wanders back into the, a small town, which is, in, which is abandoned due to the local reconstruction of the dam nearby, led by foreman Roger Davis, played by Jack Damon. Despite the town being abandoned, the only local bakery, only the local bakery run by Mildred Nash, played by Elizabeth Manor Brooks, and Sylvia's little brother Pete, played by Riley Mills, and Fuck her that kid, yeah, <laughs> and her and her grandpa, veterinarian expert Doc Banner, played by Richard Bowler, are the only ones left in town. Meanwhile, Horace and his cult arrive in the abandoned town and shack up at the uh, derelict hotel. When Doc Banner finds out that. Sylvia was assaulted by the cult. He attempts to scare him off of his shotgun. But Horace gets the upper hand and force feeds the doc some acid. <laughs> so once Doc Banner is taken home to recover, little Pete loads up the shotgun and tends to do away with the cult himself. But he is nearly attacked by a rabid dog and Pete shoots it dead. Then, in a strange t- twist of sadistic vengeance, Pete takes some of the dog's rabid blood and injects it in some meat pies. Why, you ask? Well, he sells the infected meat pies to the satanic cult so they can die of rabies. But when Pete's plan takes a turn for the worst, when the when the cult members become bloodlusting rabid killers, with the infection spreading to the local construction workers uh. as well. <laughs> oh, all right, so let's talk about I Drink Your Blood, which oh, I have... so many things to talk I know, about here. Which I have to say, out of the two, was... Is the most this, fun movie ever made I, I <laughs> in say, this group. <laughs> I, I want to say I enjoyed this movie for its cheesy, silly dialogue and its uh, uh, unbelievable premise for the majority of its running time. Right. I, I, I didn't take it too seriously. Right. Uh, but I'm like, this is beyond weird. So <laughs> we, we open up with – with uh, um, I forget his name. Um, uh, Horace Bones. Hor- Horace Bones cult. promoting this like uh, – you know, orgy slash, you know, summoning the devil kind of ritual. Yeah, and they're all naked. And they're all naked. <laughs> and uh, and then you get this girl that you said that this local girl spying on the group. Yes. Yeah, so, because one of the, one of the members uh, yeah, invited her to it. Right. Her name is Sylvia. Uh, and, Sylvia. And, and, and the, one of the guys is um, – uh, Andy, he's like the young novice right. of the group, and he invited her over. So, and basically, this pisses us off, Bo- Horace, uh, and he sends out Rolo and somebody else to go track down this girl. Yeah, yeah. They end up, they don't say rape, but you get that that she was. You get the idea that maybe that she was assaulted. She was assaulted. Yes, and, and of course, she wanders back in the town. Right, and um, the she, little Pete kid. 
and um, the, the, Mildred, who the, owns the bakery. Yeah, you get Pete, Pete and Sylvia are brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. You know, those two find her wandering down the road. Yeah. And at first, um, uh, Mildred thinks that the construction workers did something to her. Right. Because, you know, we see these construction workers as these burly guys. And, yeah. you know, you think they might have had, had a little too much fun. <laughs> so she she talks to Roger Davis, the local the construction manager at the dam site, right. played by John Damon. And, of course, it turns out uh, Roger and Mildred have this love relationship, but she's upset at him because she wants him to investigate this. But he's like, I'm, I'm trying to build this this dam. Come on. I'm, yeah, not the I'm trying cop. to build a dam, baby. It's, it's like I'm not – it's like he makes it clear he's not the sheriff, you know. Yeah. I mean in, in this town is pretty uh, much abandoned. Although he so. does have hair like a sheriff oh, back in yeah. the 70s. Oh, of course. He had the, the long sideburns yes. and shit. All he needed was the mirrored sunglasses. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would have been great. So, but what we have here is a failure to, to communicate. communicate. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, the reflective sunglasses. Yeah. yeah, that was a missed opportunity, yeah. David. Come on, so, David Durson. Come on. So, so you get this woman attacked, assaulted, and she has. It looks like she has blood down her legs. So you can only imagine that yeah. possibly something more had happened. Anyway, she goes home and she's laying down and she's in shock. So mm. then we're introduced to, to uh, uh, Doc Banner. Doc Banner, who's a, who's just a veterinarian, but he's trying his best to help you right. know through through the shock. Then we get the then we cut back to the cult. Yeah. And their van had just broken down. They can't <laughs> so they have to walk to another town. But what they decide to do is they have one guy inside there who's sleeping, so they decide uh, to just to play for shits and shits, for shits and, and giggles. giggles. They they lock him up and push him push yeah. the van over this cliff yeah. just to wake him up. Right. <laughs> now, and I'd like to explain something. When you when you when we first see Horace Bones, uh, he looks like a very young superfly Jimmy Snooker from the WWF <laughs> back in the day. I'm like <laughs> There's a side by side comparison because they're both wearing the, like the, the the long brown brown or black hair with the bandana. Right. They look almost ex- they could be related. Well, and he's also brandishing a sword. Yeah. Because <laughs> every every cult has uh, one. Yes. Yeah. Has, and it's not and it's not just it's not like a samurai sword. It's like one of these old Harold Flynn like oh, you know yeah. pirate swords. Like he's about to do some swashbuckling, <laughs> or, or, or if it was a sexploitation movie, buckle some swash. But anyways, um, so they end up in this abandoned town, oh, and they find out that that uh, the hotel is run down, and they can just check up there for a couple of days. So right. they go there, and of course they're performing another one of their satanic rituals. And uh, they have this one guy. Um, I'm trying to remember his name now. He, uh, I don't think we even get much of a name for no, him. But he, I, I think, but, but didn't they at one point where they were questioning his loyalty, thinking maybe he was yeah, a cop yeah, or something like no, undercover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what they do is they, they, um, they have him tied down, and they no, 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 no. They they tie him up. No, no. They have him tied down, and they take one of them takes a sword and uh, or a little a knife, knife and yeah. cuts his feet open. And then later they hang him up up in this attic yeah. and just swing him back and forth. So the blood just starts hitting these cult members' faces. Yeah. And it's just so weird. But in the meantime – Gramps with a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Sylvia eventually tells what happened. And uh, Doc uh, Banner decides to take matters in his own hand by getting this – loading up his sh- shotgun and going to go pay a visit to these guys. But of course, you know, even though he's got a shotgun, he's pretty much outnumbered because this cult – Consists of like five or six people. Yeah, and you're and let's face it, he's like at that in that, at that time like sixty seven or yeah. seventy eight, seventy years old or something like Some that. Some sixty year old dude. Yeah, with a with a shotgun and then the, the kid in tow. You know. Yeah, so he goes in there and of course Horace Bones gets the upper hand and like takes his glass, takes takes Doc's glasses off and breaks them. And oh, they're 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 a little dirty and he just steps on them. And yeah, then yeah, he hands yeah. Them and, back then, to him. and then and then soccer punches them. They take the gun and then what do they do? 
they 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 force freedom LSD. <laughs> this has got to be one of the weirdest. Uh, dumbest, oldest PSA like things. You see, Grandpa like kind of you know freaking out, and then they, uh, the the boy gets to um, after a confrontation with Rolo, uh, finally gets Grandpa back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rolo because, by but, by the way being the right hand man yeah, of, yes. of, of Horace Bones. So. Yes, and um, and one of the ladies tells Rolo to knock it off, you know, and we're just gonna give him to him, <laughs> you know, and Horace agrees, like, hey, we just let him go home. All right, yeah, he agrees uh, reluctantly. Yeah. You know? it's not like he wanted to do more. But, yeah, and but. so so Grandpa gets home, and and um, which by the way, after being attacked, this uh, Sylvia automatically flip flops and be- becomes like this person who's like now taking care of Grandpa. She was we we last see her, she's she on the sh- bed, yeah, in shock, shocked, looking up at the ceiling, you know, after being you know you know assaulted slash possibly raped, and. She automatically is just like <laughs> nothing happened. Like she's she had a cup of coffee. She woke up. You know, like she's all good now. And I love how when Grandpa sits at the table, he has his little acid trip and yeah. he's like taking like these two salt and pepper shakers yeah. and putting them on yeah. his head. And, and so she, so the, so Sylvia comes with the blanket and she says, "Kind of like you just got to ride it out." You know, Grandpa. You know, everything's gonna be fine. Yeah, Make yeah. you some tea or whatever. So little Pete, the kid oh. who decides to take matters into his own hands, he decides to load up the shotgun himself and he's gonna go after and take care of this cult. But as he's walking down the uh, down the woods, he is nearly attacked by a rabid dog and he shoots it. Right. Now, this is where – and again, if, if you've never seen this movie or you never had an idea of what it was about, I got to tell you, this is where the movie just takes a turn for the, the most vicious vengeance I've ever seen. Now, because the dog is rabid and because he understands what rabies is because his dad's a veterinarian and right. he learns – no, um, do, his, his grandpa, grandpa is – and, and he wants to be a vet too. Yeah. He decides he's going to – he takes the dog's blood and he injects it in these meat pies at the bakery. Right. And he sells them to the cult members. Right. Because, because that's all they have to eat in this town is these stupid meat pies from this one like break bakery. Yeah. And they've eaten all the, 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 the meat pies in the last previous days. So they're getting tired of eating meat pies. But yeah. they eat it because that's the only thing they got. And I love it too because it's just so – it's so vicious, right? And, and when you have the scene that you see the cult members eating the meat pies, you, you know, they they have the sound effects of them going, and it's right. like, uh, and the only one who doesn't eat the meat pies is the Andy character right. because he's just sick kinda, and tired of meat pies. Yeah, well, he's also just sick and tired in general of these yeah. guys. So, but it's just. It, there's something about it that just makes you squirm. It's like, yeah. oh my god, this right. kid. Yeah, I, mean, I, I get. Oh, you want to you want to uh, be vindictive and you want to get back at these guys for for you know drugging your grandpa, but. Grandpa is okay. Yeah, he's okay. He, he, he came out of his role just fine. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. He, everything is going to be fine with them. What this kid does is sadistic and kind of oh, like uh, just cruel and uh, uh, kind of like if 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 the uh, the cult members understood how to do this, they probably would do it to people. Right. So, but so so they eat the meat pies, and now um, all of a sudden the. Um, the uh, cult members are starting to come down with a, a case of rabies. Yeah, they start to get the fever. <laughs> yeah, the fever. And the but, frothing but of the mouth. The frothing of the mouth, the lust for blood, losing their minds. There's a scene where Rollo just goes insane yes. and starts yes. – he grabs an axe and the one guy that they cut their cut, – yeah, cut, cut yeah. the feet open, he's just still lying there. Right. He, well, first he stabs yeah. him in the chest. Right. Then he grabs an axe and cuts the guy's – Foot off, <laughs> and then runs around with it. Yeah, you know. holding it, and I gotta say that was effectively yeah. gross. It was yeah. the one of that the girl, was. one of the girls in the group, uh, Molly. Yeah, 
She's just so disgusted, and Rollo walks up behind her, drooling, and holds the decapitated foot in front of her face. <laughs> yeah, and it should be noted that um, this, the rabies takes effects to different people at different times. It doesn't; they don't all come down yeah, at yeah, exactly yeah. the same time. Well, and they also, as explained by the doc later on, that perhaps with them taking the amount of drugs they have, it might have a side effect as yeah. well. But so now the cult group like splits up because they're just all going crazy. All right. Um, Andy hides out at uh, Doc Banner's uh, house, actually in the barn. All Sylvia right. puts him up out there. And then uh, uh, Horace Bones uh, attacks uh, Mildred, who's driving in the car. He's got blood on his hands and he puts it under the window and everything. Right. And then, of course, she goes to the dock and the dock investigates the blood and finds out, oh, my God, these cult members have rabies. Right. But – but now it gets a turn for the worse because the Molly character who also has rabies in the group is being she, chased by Rolo. Well, yeah, she's being chased by Rolo, but then she runs into the construction guys right. who are off work. Yeah, they're, they're, but they're going actually into town on the on the foreman's or the, the yeah, yeah. The, the the foreman character Roger tells them to go into town and, and check on uh, because he can't get a hold of anybody at the, at the store, right? But of course these. You know, construction workers, because they've been working and there's no attractive women to be around, they decide to have some fun with this woman and make out with her. They, and they all run a train on her. Oh, <laughs> they oh, don't show up, but they all run a train on her. They all run a train on her. And again, they don't know that she's got rabies, so she's basically spreading it around right. these guys. <laughs> and then what, what's uh, – Like what, secret like, – like, like a form of VD. Right. Again, VD, folks. Happy VD. But, <laughs> but then but then what happens if they all run a train on her? These three or four guys, after they go to the house, they go, after they've done you know party with her, they – she convinces them or they convince her to come back to the yeah. barracks where the other guys are, where the other right, 10, right. 15 guys are. Except there's two other guys. And this was kind of – the logistics on this was so weird because at one point they go to the hotel and then two guys in the truck go back to town. Right. And the other guys are there yeah, with, checking with out the her. Hotel. Yeah, and then they end up going off somewhere with her, you know, obviously they have sex out somewhere. But then the two guys come back in the truck and they're looking for the guys and then they go in the house and then they find the the one guy dead with his foot missing, right. and they and one guy panics, but then the other guy tells him, "No, we gotta check out the whole house." Yeah, and which, they, and they you go. Know, up, truth, if I do that, I'm, I know. I'm gonna say, no, I go just call the police. Uh, let's, let's just call the police. Yeah. But they go up in the attic. Oh, and <laughs> and, and and Horace Bones throws a noose on one of the guys and chokes him to death, like hangs him. Which again, <laughs> a very implausible scene. Yeah, yeah. it's so implausible. I, 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 in fact, in that scene, I had to rewind and watch it twice just because I was like, wait a minute. He did that because he's hanging on like uh, in the ceiling. He's, uh, he's the sitting rafters. on the rafters, yeah. And he throws it. Was, uh, was he waiting that whole time for this guy? Which doesn't make any. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This this part. And he, the guy walks into the noose almost. The guy, or no, the, the guy sees the noose and then all of a sudden he gets like, lassoed <laughs> on him like he's a calf. And he, apparently this guy's got such a strong muscle. Or and he, he chokes well, him to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he pulls up, and then the other, and then drops the gun <laughs> because he has the pistol. And then the other guy picks up the pistol, but then Rolo, I mean not Rolo, no. but then Horace, Horace yeah. grabs his sword. I'm like, or, and just stabs the guy, and you get like a nice little piece of liver shot yeah. falling out. And then all of a sudden, that's the end. I'm like, Jesus. So, but then the guys come back from having sex with a woman, and they see the truck, and they get they drive off, and you they they don't even ask, they don't hey, ask where, where their buddies where are, where their yeah. buddies were. Like these guys weren't even drunk. Yeah, I mean Jesus. So, but what I like about it too is they go to the to the barracks, 
and they're all like, you know, trading with this girl. And all of a sudden she starts freaking out more. And it's because she, the rabies infection is getting worse and worse. And they, they, they all of a sudden like throw her underwater and, you know, she starts panicking. And the right. reason for that is because rabies is, it infects the nervous system. And as we find out from the doctor, Which it causes – a very it, informative voiceover. Yes. Rabies causes like an uncontrollable amount of thirst. But then again, there's a fear of water involved and, you know, drooling. and, yes. and, and but, no, but no blood drinking. No blood drinking. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. none. Yeah, no blood drinking. But anyway, so so then now there's a, there's a, there's a scene that happens later involving two girls of the uh, the group, of the cult group. Yes. A, a pregnant. woman. Yeah, a pregnant woman named um, Molly played by Ronald Fultz. And a mute girl, Carrie, played by Lynn Lowry, who <laughs> they end up at this one couple's house, or yeah. this one woman's house, actually. Yeah. And she's making a ham sandwich. Oh, with, God. Uh, this with, is so oh, weird it's so and brutal. Weird, with the with electric, electric carving, carving knife. knife. And um, the mute Carrie sees the uh, carving knife and she picks it up and she cuts off the, 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 the poor woman's hand. Who's making them a ham sandwich. <laughs> And look, she comes out and she's got like the the camp thing, and she goes oh and falls over and then and then Carrie walks out with this hand with all this blood dripping right. off it. It was so weird. It was yeah. oh my god. But here's the and, weird, where, and where's the Saint Bernard because you, you see a dog in yeah, the, yeah, in the yeah. foreground shot and then like the dog's gone. Well, it's a Saint Bernard, you yeah. know. I mean, come on, it was just lying there and being very peaceful. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's not going to help that owner. And then uh, uh, there's a moment where. Um, so what happens afterwards is, you know, the doc tells Roger about the whole rabies situation. Right. And then they find the uh, Molly character, the one that the guys were having sex with. Right. Uh, she's basically found dead over a cliff. You know, some, they don't know how she got there. Yeah. So, so, But as they head back to the barracks, they end up finding what? Uh, the entire barracks has been infected by, by the, the – all the guys that have worked there have, you know, run a train on her are now – Infected with the rabies. Yes, they're frothing at the mouth. Frothing at the mouth. And with Colgate. Yeah, yeah. They're all frothing <laughs> at the mouth and they all have – and they all. one of them even has a machete at one point. Right. They all got weapons so, and yeah, stuff so, and they're all crazy. <laughs> so so the, 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 the lead man – I forget. What's his name? The, uh, the, the, Roger, Roger. Played by John Damon. He, he, yeah. he, he shoots and kills one of them. Yeah. And then all of a sudden then like 15 or 20 more <laughs> guys and the, other, and the doc's like – we gotta go. There's no way we're gonna, or you know, the, the, the guy goes. We got. We've, we we gotta leave. We can't, we're not gonna take them all. And, on. and I love it too. They they end up over at this little mini waterfall area, and they get in the water and they yeah, throw like water the lake, at them yeah. because once again, uh, when you have rabies, you're afraid of water. So yeah, so, they're, so they're standing there just you know having a, a water fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man. I mean, uh, I David Durson told a story about how he read a review of this movie. Someone liked the movie, and they said uh, the reviewer said as silly as the movie could be. The idea of it seems plausible. I mean, again, it's a silly little movie, but it sort of is like, you know, what if a rabies epidemic like that could happen? Right. I mean, remember, he based this off of an incident that happened in Asia involving a rabies epidemic. Nobody, I don't think, I think the story of that was that nobody was killing each other, but, right. no, you know, obviously. But so, as implausible as all of this sounds, there is something about it that feels like it could be plausible. But, anyways, um, so now, you know, now everybody that's not infected has to avoid the construction workers and the existing cult members 
that are just and the whole movie literally has this great batshit crazy. Yeah, you know, where, where all the action is spread out. It, it becomes very frantic. Yeah, again, yeah, which is pretty like. Like, um, basically, now Doc Banner ends up getting killed by the guys and has a pitchfork stuck in his neck. So, uh, Sylvia, Pete, and Andy, the, uh, the novice cult member, are running for their lives. Right. Oh. And, and they find pregnant Molly and they tell her what happens. And Molly and she, kills herself. Yeah, she kills it with a, with a stake driven in the ground that just happens to be lying right next to her. <laughs> and and, and what, I, what, I, what I like is that, what I shouldn't say what I like, but what I found. F- Kind of funny is that when um, Pete is it Pete the, the, or Andy? Andy's a little boy, right? No, no, Pete is a little boy. But Pete's a little boy. Uh, finds Andy and his sister Sylvia in the barn. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, get away from him. He's you know he's been infected you know with whatever. She's with rabies. With yeah, rabies. Yeah. And she's like, no, he's not. He goes, he goes, I didn't eat the meat pie. And he goes, I infected the meat pies. And she goes, you did this. I know. Yeah, like, it's I'm like, like and he's like, yes, I'm real sorry. Yeah, yeah I didn't mean for it to happen. <laughs> he's this sick little. Fucker. Yeah, yeah, like, dude, dude, and what happens next is just crazy. Like, they, 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 they you get, you get the, a, a scene with the three characters also running through the waters yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they end up back at in the town like square. I guess. Yeah, yeah. They end the, up in the town. They end up at the bakery. Yeah. And, and uh, Mildred, the, 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 the one who owns the bakery, she like boards up the doors and everything. And they're coming, uh, yeah, coming through that. Right, right. Because what happens is one of the other cult members, a uh, an Asian woman named Sue Lin. She uh, she ends up lighting herself on fire. Right. Because I why she does we're not really sure. Well, because at one point Horace Bones runs up to her and is about to like attack her right. with his sword, but then she lights herself on fire. Then she has that little dagger in her hand. She could have tried to like defend yeah. herself, but then I don't the, think she was in her right mind. Though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then Rollo shows up with the axe, and there's like this big little fight sequence yeah. between. I will. Him I will. Bones. I will say. I, I did like the fights, the frantic fight scene between yeah. Rollo and Horace. Yeah. I thought that was pretty fun. And what happens to Horace Bones? Oh, he gets killed. Yeah, but how does he get killed? You're gonna have to refresh my memory. Well, Rollo gets the the sword and shoves it in, in, in Horace's back, and it comes out. From oh, Horace that's right, mouth. that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Which is kind of, again another one of those. That's right. Yeah, because, yeah, death yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He gets it, he gets behind him, and then yeah, he shoves yeah, 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 yeah. He shoves it in his back. It's like his back, but then all of a sudden it comes out through his like through mouth. His mouth. Yeah. I'm like, the sword was pretty big, yeah, but it's, it's not it's, that big. It's a little contrived, but yeah. it's 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 okay. And then of course they really want to make sure he died. Yeah. <laughs> and then as as little Pete. And Andy and Sylvia trying to get into the bakery. All of a sudden, the construction crew, the, the rabbit <laughs> shows up, and one of them is carrying a dead goat carcass, <laughs> and they just killed. <laughs> yeah, and then and then somebody decapitates one character, decapitates another character, and they're holding the head. Oh up. yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them, and and I love it too. Andy tries picking up something like a chair, and one of the rabbit construction members grabs it from him and says, "You won't be needing that kid." <laughs> and then one and one of them. Chops off poor Andy's head, oh, and then we no. get his. He's, and one of them carries the decapitated yeah. head with. Them. <laughs> oh my God, <sighs> it's so over the top. It's so awful. Right. So now Andy's out of the equation. It's, so it's just it's Pete. It's it's, it's little Pete it's, and uh, Sylvia, Sylvia and, and Mildred. Mildred and they and finally Mildred lets them in the bakery. Right, and then they kind of like go around. No. no, no, no. They go down in the cellar yeah. because all the construction crew guys break in and start right. destroying the place. Right, but but then they then she shoots one of them. Yeah, one of them walks down and through the cellar. Then he they she. Shoots him in the face. Right, and it's they, pretty gruesome and then, shot. And then they run back up the stairs. <laughs> they run outside the bakery where the car is, or try to get to the car. Yeah, then you get the rest of the cast or the rest of the cast. The rest of the um, rabid uh, people. Well, they they get in, okay. So 
after uh, Mildred shoots one of the uh, rabbit construction guys, uh, she, Pete, Sylvia escape and head to the car. Right. But Rollo attacks him. So, oh, this is before Rollo yeah, dies. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so Mildred grabs a water hose yeah, and all of a sudden spraying. spraying them. And then, of course, she sprays Rollo and he falls over on the car and dies, basically. I no, guess I thought, no, no, but Rollo just falls and dies on the car. But I thought Rollo got killed by, I mean, not Rollo, you mean Horace. No, Horace is already dead. No, no. I, mean, I mean, I think you're referring I thought you said that didn't Horace kill no, no, Rollo? No, 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 Rollo killed Horace. He's the one that, no, Rollo killed Horace. He's the one that shoved the sword up him. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, got the, all right, I flip-flopped the characters. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. But anyway, yeah. so then, so then um, Mildred takes the uh, the water hose and sprays right. Rollo, and then he falls on the car dead. Right. So, That's right. Right. So then they, all of a sudden they get into the car, but the, the, all the construction so... guys keep shaking the car back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So then who shows up? Oh, the police. They finally now, show up. <laughs> I would say up until this point – I'm like, okay, I kind of, I mean, I, I, my, my suspension of disbelief is, you know, I've been off the chain since the, the opening scene. Yeah. I'm like, I'm okay with it or whatever. These cops roll up. They, they peel into this town. They pull, like, they don't, I don't think they fully stop the cars. They roll out of the cars and they start just blatantly shooting, open fire on this entire, they're not even, they don't even know who's what, but they're just bang, bang, and they're, they're literally, the, the, it's, the action is so frantic, I don't even think even the the people who are filming the movie knew what was happening, because there was one scene where they're cocking a shotgun, they put, they put an empty shell back into the gun, and then they keep firing and everything. Oh, well. And then, that, that was funny, and then you get the guy coming to the, uh, I think it was, uh, it was it was the Roger character. Roger's like, guys, stop shooting, they're, you know, we got, we got three innocents in there, we go, really? Really? <laughs> Guys, stop. Stop firing. We, we, we had orders to shoot. Well, who gave the orders to shoot? <laughs> hey, man, it's a rabies <laughs> epidemic. They got to take care of this shit, man. But, uh, but I do agree. I'm there like, was something about that that was like, wow, like, these guys just came blazing in, didn't even ask a single question, yeah. and didn't even check and Did, see. Didn't even say, hey, stop, whatever. You know, just, I don't know. But as it turns out, Sylvia, Pete, and Mildred are okay. Yes. And, of course, everything is over and done with. And there's a doctor at the end of the film who kind of sums it up, played by the director himself, David Durson, <laughs> who had to fill in for a role. He said something I, I, He said something like, well, what can you say about rabies? It's an agonizing thing to go through. And then the end. And you see the cut of, of, the, of Pete. Of Pete walking into w- w- the – Walking into the forest with his, with his shotgun. Yeah. I'm like – this kid needs to be put in jail. He needs to be, you know, arrested for, you know, manslaughter at least. <laughs> there is a deleted scene oh, where there because there's some deleted scenes in this um, where he, the little kid says to the police, you know, he was responsible for it, and the police don't believe him. <laughs> uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if the, what's worse. You know, it's just, I was like. I, it, yeah, uh, oh man, it's it's a, you know what though, in comparison, it's better than the headless eyes. I mean, if we had to look it, at it, they're... yeah, of course, but the, you know, but it's it is a it, but, but, both, but both these films, I will say, just ended. There was no like, just like okay, hey, hey man, I drink your blood had like like you said, it was so frantic that you know it, it, endings are so hard to do. You know, how do you end a movie like this? You end it with everybody like you know clicking their heels and like all of a sudden. Well, ah, yeah, everything's fine. I, 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 you know, I'd end it with, 
what little Pete having the handcuffs put on him and that and, and and more I guess more closure with the the Mildred and Sylvia character after you know uh, everything their their whole town has been pretty much you know trashed hey, and everybody they knew they, dead they, they survive it's just a bad memory it's just a, it's just a bad memory you know I mean but I just I I, I mean it, this is I'll be honest this isn't one of my favorite movies yeah. per se but it is enjoyable to catch once in a while because there is something about it that like really. It's just so out there. It's that type of like it, it isn't badly made. I mean, there is a sense it does have a slight professional slickness right. to it. Yeah, it, and the and like everything that this movie does technically is better than the headless eyes. It's just the movie has this this go for broke attitude. You know, it's about um, a satanic cult, and you know, this was I think. A year or so after the whole um, Charlie, Manson. Charlie Manson thing, yeah. so that was—I guess you can say—that's the one relevant thing of its time. And then, you know, also adding in this whole idea of how people become infected with rabies and and going around killing people because they're 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 they've gone mad and everything. I mean, this is again Jerry Gross, the producer of this film, wanted a movie like Night of the Living Dead, and to a certain extent, he kind of sort of got it. Right, but. I don't know. Just when I watch this movie, it's just so out there and so it, wild. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, 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 I mean, I for what it, it is, it's it's, it's not my favorite, but it's. It, I liked it. It's fine. It was good. Yeah. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I give it a thumbs up. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's it, th- again. This is the type of film that played the Forty Second Street right, audiences right. and drive-in audiences. Like, I now nowadays when people go back to wa- watching movies and drive-ins, it's all these big-budget movies. I really wish someone would just play this movie to today's modern era drive-in audience. They would either flip their shit or they would just totally be for it. Yeah. And, and and yes, please invite your friends and family to it. I mean because <laughs> oh my I've heard stories about that. Someone once told a story about how um, there was a drive-in theater. Uh, this was back in the 70s. They said that this theater would show – you know, family films, but then at night, after the, the family films or whatever were over, they'd say, okay, now we're going to show the adult stuff, so, yeah. you know, clear the, you know, yeah. get your kids out. We're not responsible yeah, for Well, them. yeah, yeah. I mean, they made their announcements, but th- they would actually have a playground area by the drive-in, and sometimes they would be showing, like, some, you know, some gruesome horror movie or some soft X, you know, yeah. soft porno type thing, and there would be kids playing at the... <laughs> <laughs> at, at, at the at the jungle gym and everything, oh, and you know their parents would be watching this this grungy movies, and you'd be saying, like, imagine showing I drink your blood, and you say, okay, now get your kid, take your kids away, yeah. and yet here's your kids playing yeah. over at the jungle on the seesaw, gym, on the you know, seesaw, and they're watching, you know, and they're watching like Rolo a Rollo running around with an axe and like drooling blood, and, <laughs> and, 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 and oh my god, jeez. Oh. So yeah, but I really wish they would bring. I mean, they do that in some of these. Um, like they do some of that with some of these drive-in uh, shows that they do, right? But I really wish one around here. I don't know if there's one around here. I can't remember. We have uh, here uh, in Illinois. We have the Cascade Group okay, Drive-in yeah, Movie yeah. Theater, and and I've been there a few times um, over the years, and it's it's fun. Yeah. Um, so Cascade, please book. I drink your blood. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah. if you want me to come out and pay to for, see this movie? I maybe will. For like a throwback Thursday. Yeah, evening, yeah, you know? yeah. I drink your blood with I eat your skin. Uh, you know? <laughs> and I agree. The title of this movie is such a misnomer because there really isn't no. a lot of blood drinking. But Jerry Gross, you know, because the original title was Phobia yeah. and Jerry thought that title wasn't very scary or, right. or, or double bill enti- enticing. Exactly. So 
uh, I Drink Your Blood ended up being the title. And it, yeah. it's, it, you know, for what it is, it's, it's, it's a cheese fest, but it's just so wacky. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's certainly made up for the, the, the pressing grunginess of the headless eyes. So. Yes. Ending on a high note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a sort, in a yes, way. Sort of, yeah. So, Tim, I'm going to assume that you have some facts I, for this I, movie. I, I do. I'm just going over a few of them that we've already kind of already touched upon. Like you mentioned, it was the film was originally titled in Phobia. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, the satanic practices of the cult were based upon actual satanic rituals told by David E. Durston by a friend that was a former cult, cult member. Oh, okay. So there you God. go. Uh, that's not creepy at all. I've never heard of just making it up on <laughs> yeah, your own. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, before passing, this, this has been pretty interesting. Um, before passing the Video Recordings Act, a cut version was briefly released by Media Video in the UK in the early 80s. Uh, yeah, that was during the whole video nasty right. thing. So, Although it was yeah. never listed as an official nasty video, it was one of the films featured on the tape compiled by outspoken critic of sex and violence, Mary Whitehouse, and shown at the Conservative Party Conference in 1984. I bet they had a blast yeah. watching that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this uh, this film has yet to receive a, a UK certificate. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's see. Oh, even to this day, it's even to still... this day, um, according to uh, Durston, part, uh, apart from the chicken in the opening scene, no animals were killed in the making of the film. So that's important. Um, <laughs> it's a chicken. It yeah. is. Oh, okay. Oh, this was shot in upstate New York, uh, village of. Uh, Sharon Springs after it was deserted. Many of the locations of the film, including the old hotel, were were set to be demolished and were kept standing long enough for the film uh, production. So, and if you think about it, that's great because you know, like they said, I think Durston said when they were like in this town, they were able to destroy anything they want. Yeah, and it's so, perfect. You know. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, finally, um, according to the director David E. Uh, Durston, the film was originally given an X rating by the MPAA theaters. Uh, th- uh, Theaters threatened to pull the film entirely. The distribution company then granted the theaters permission to edit the film yeah. themselves. Yeah, they, what they did is they just because I guess they already sent the prints out, yeah. and they would have to recall them. So they just so Jerry Gross told every theater, if you find something in it that's unacceptable, just snip it out. So if you saw this movie, let's say in a theater in um, uh, Connecticut, and let's say there was that foot chopping off sequence, yeah. that would have been probably have cut out. But then you know. Let's say someone saw it in the theater in California and that was left in, but then they cut out the scene where, uh, you know, Lynn Lowry cut off the person's hand with the electric carving knife. Right. You know, so Jerry, David Durson said that there would be people he'd run into who said, I saw this movie and it had this scene in it, and there would be another person say, Wait, I saw it, but it didn't have it where I right. saw it. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah Durston goes on to say there were hundreds of different versions of the film due to individual theaters editing their own reels of right. I Drink Your Blood. So, jeez. Oh, uh, so, yeah, that's what I got for fun facts for uh, I Drink Your Blood. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, don't go in this movie taking it too seriously. I mean, I do. I do kind of agree with the one reviewer who said that it, it it's it could it could happen, but at the same time, just you know, <laughs> right? Just prepare yourself for some fun cheesy thrills. <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. So I, I, you know, I again, even though it's not a big favorite of mine, I still give it a thumbs up for myself. I don't know, Tim. Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, like I said I enjoyed it, except for the final like two or three minutes where <laughs> it just goes from batshit crazy to like t- totally implausible. I'm like, <laughs> Whatever. 
<laughs> but, so I think I think that I think we can put a, a cap on this one. Yeah, I uh, think we can too. I think we can uh, leave the small town, abandoned town of uh, whatever. I don't know if you got, got town's name, did we? I don't think we did. Hey, small town yes, USA, whatever. Right. <laughs> so. Um, Chris, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, I think we've uh, we've said all that we could about these two films. Well, Chris, why don't you tell the dear listeners what they can expect from our March episode? Yes, uh, for our March episode, we will be doing that 2016 horror episode in which we will be covering uh, three films, Hush, Lights Out, and The Shallows. So look forward to that. Yes. Now it's time for our brand new segment, which I hope will become a regular thing, THSP Spotlight. We hope you enjoy the interview. Ten. Welcome to THSP Spotlight. Hello and welcome to the first ever THSP Spotlight. I'm your host, Tim Kazda, and tonight I welcome Tori Danielle to our show. If you don't know who, who she is, you will shortly. <laughs> she is a contributor, contributing writer for many different websites such as horrorgeeklife.com, pophorror.com, and crypticrock.com, just to name a few, plus uh, she's busy running one of the biggest horror social media groups currently around. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. How are you doing tonight, Tori? I'm good. How are you? Oh, very good, very good. Wonderful. <laughs> you know, um, February is known for th- <laughs> you know February is known for three things: one being Black History Month, the second uh, Valentine's Day, and third, and pretty recently, Women in Horror Month. Tori, would you like to tell our listeners? A little bit about this. I did give a kind of a short description at the start of the show, but you could fill in any blanks I may have left out. Well, Women in Horror Month is like a huge deal. Um, I didn't know how big of a deal it was until I started writing, but like there's festivals, um, there's like the Soska sisters, they do a huge blood drive for it. to get people involved, um, and basically all sites, all the horror sites cover it, and it's featuring editorials on classic women in horror, new women in horror, um, interviews of all kinds, um, there's one, I mean, I've had ones with indie ones, Barbara Crampton, I haven't done Barbara Crampton yet, but there's, that's going around, um, there's some sites that are, um, specifically trying to uh, donate to, um, they have like a big horror thing going on, donating to Planned Parenthood, and lots of horror artists are involved in that, including Barbara Crampton, and wow. it's for Women in Horror Month, so it's pretty awesome. That is very, very cool. I mean, I honestly didn't know anything about it until, I want to say, probably two weeks ago. I know that sounds pretty bad, but it's been around for eight years. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, why am I just hearing about this now? <laughs> yeah, it's basically to recognize, you know, because a lot of times women aren't appreciated as much for the genre, and it's just giving recognition to them and all the amazing things they do. Because, like, in Jaws, yeah. there was one of the editors. Uh, Vernon like, Fields. She, yes, yes, she made amazing things happen and a lot of people don't know that so it's just like highlighting those people and making sure they are known yeah. which is pretty awesome yeah, that is pretty cool. I, know, I know a little about Verna Fields you know she worked on you know Jaws and American Graffiti and I think Paper Moon she did she, mm-hmm. she was a, a, a pioneer in her day you know and unfortunately she passed away too young at 64 
Um, but um, and then you know you got Catherine Bigelow, who was a personal favorite of mine, who've done movies like Near Dark and Point Break and Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't. And, and the Soska sisters, who've done you know, um, you know, um, American was it American Mary? American Mary uh, and the Dead Hook Trunk. Um, and they have the elevator on Netflix. Yes, yes. So I mean, yeah, I mean, and they also they also did. Um, I don't know if you ever saw. Um, was it uh, Seen No Evil here or Seen No Evil Two? <laughs> they did that. Yep, that's actually a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like that one. Yeah. So that's all, no. That's very very cool. Um, and you know, I enjoy uh, reading your articles. And in fact, one of my favorite pieces was an article you wrote back in the beginning of summer for Pophorror dot com entitled "We're Going to Need a Bigger Boat, Bigger Review." Jaws turns forty one. Now, Jaws is one of my all-time favorite films. Do you happen to remember when the very first time you ever saw Jaws and what your initial thoughts were? I am not, I don't know. I was probably pretty little, but I would say probably about eight or nine because it wasn't my first horror film for sure. Um, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I love nature-like films because they feel more realistic. Like, not that I think a shark's going to eat me or (laughs) be that massive, but... They just feel more realistic, like it could happen, and it was just shot so beautifully, and it just shows a different side of horror movies, like, you know, there's, like, the slasher ones, and this one went a different way about it, like, a different type of scare, and um, a lot of people never wanted to go in the water again after it, which is... You know, a big deal. So you can count yeah. me in that majority. <laughs> I I've never actually been in the ocean, and I'm a scaredy cat, so I don't even know what I would do. I mean, I would want to, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what I would do if I actually got the opportunity. So I've been in the ocean a few times, and thankfully they were in more uh, tropical climates like uh, St. Lucia and Jamaica. So the fact of shark uh, attacks over there are pretty rare. <laughs> so um, you have to worry about jellyfish more than anything. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still, I always ask the, two, the boat guys, like, any sharks around? Like, no, man, no, you're okay. No pressure, no problem. <laughs> Get in the water. I'm like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> but, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, obviously then you got the, the, the sequels that were just, um, after two, it's just, it's not, it's not very good. <laughs> I mean, they're fun, but they're uh, not very good. Really. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't know, there really has only been, if, well, there's none that will actually, like, live up to it to me, like, I like open water because I think that's a terrifying. Can I cuss on this? Yeah, no. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead. Can Can I cuss? Yeah, I don't go know ahead. Can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a podcast. Okay. You can swear. It's a terrifying uh, fucking idea of being in the water all by yourself. Yeah. With well, one around, so that's why that movie got to me there. And then, really, no, there really hasn't been another one that I liked. The what was the one that came out last year? The Shallows. I liked it, but it still didn't have the same impact to me yeah. as Jaws. What, what I liked about it was that it took away from all the, the goofy films from the last 10 years or so, like your Sharknados and your <laughs> giant, you know, Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, all those kind of different, like, silly sci-fi movies, and it kind mm-hmm. of brought it, grounded it back in more reality, even though the ending is a bit, um, how, how should we put it, uh, theatrical. <laughs> oh, very, yes. But, um, yeah, I, I was very pleasantly surprised by The Shallow. So, in fact, that's mm-hmm. one of the movies we'll be reviewing um, uh, next month <laughs> for our salute oh. of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> 
that and I believe, um, oh, Lights Out and, um, oh, um, I know you like this, The Hush, so that's what we're going to be covering. Okay. I love Lights Out and Hush. They were both, yeah. Lights Out is like iffy for most people, but I actually went to theaters and saw it and actually jumped a few times and I don't ever jump, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, truthfully, I'm kind of in the same boat with you because I went to, like, I think it was a second run theater. If you have a second run theater by our house and um, it was like cost me four bucks to go in by my, you know, I went by myself and there was only like two other people in the theater and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, um, there, I, I don't, I didn't really like the over explanation of some things, but because mm-hmm. I thought it took away from being too scary, yeah. but Honestly, I, I still I loved it overall. I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. And in the in the in the summer of big blockbusters that were just kind of disappointments, it was a it was a nice um, it was a nice pleasant surprise. <laughs> totally. So, um, but now, um, how did you ever get involved? How did you get involved with writing for these different websites? And what advice could you give to others that are looking to do the same thing? Well, I've always loved writing. I started doing it in high school, like journalism stuff, and originally went to college for it, and then. And I did other stuff. But uh, a couple years back, my friend Tracy was writing for Cryptic Rock. And she was like, you should do it. And so I started writing for them. And I don't know. It kind of started out slow. But then gradually I was doing it more and more. And that's where I got my first interviews. My first interview through Cryptic Rock was, uh, can't think of her name. But (laughs) she was... In Human Centipede, she was one of the... Um, <laughs> oh, God, I remember that movie. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, that was fun. Um, but, uh, so, I started out there, and then Pop Four started last year, in the very beginning of the year. Um, some people reached out, and um, I started writing for them, and so did many other people from Cryptic Rock, and uh, I'm now co- I now co-own Pop Four. Oh, nice. uh, with Tracy. Well, congratulations. And, thank you. Um, yeah, we've had actually a really good year, um, and we've gotten a lot of support and love from it, especially through Indie Horror, which is one of my big, big passions is Indie Horror. Oh, yeah. And then a few months later, like, I can't remember if it was May, June, Horror Geek Life started, which Melissa and also a.k.a. Horror... Uh, or Geek Mel. Um, she started that, which I absolutely love because although I run Pop Horror, Horror Geek Life is like everything I am. It's, <laughs> it's horror. It's, I'm not a huge gamer, but I do like some gaming, and it's that, and I could just... Yes, I, I, I've, I've, I've read some of the stuff on there. It's, it's, it's pretty all-inclusive. It's really, it's really cool. If you like horror, this is any kind of, like, genre, I mean, any kind of genre, any kind of, like, platform, this is it for you guys. It really is. It's awesome, and we have some awesome connections through them, like, the whole Friday the 13th game. Like, we, we're often one of the first people who, like, get stuck with them. And oh, I'm dying to play that game, no pun intended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had so many awesome stuff with that. So, I'm... That site's great, and it's doing wonderful as well. And um, I'm also planning on freelancing in a few different places this year. Uh, Nightmare, Nightmarish Conjurings, and a few others. Maybe Dread Central. I'm not sure yet, but because uh, I want, I want to do, I want to stay at the site the map, but I also want to kind of be like a guest writer at a few other ones as well, just because I think it's fun, and I support all sites and. Yeah. 
Um, and so my uh, advice would be um, start anywhere, whether it's a blog, your own site, reach out to other sites. There's really no better day to start than now. Um, and, I mean, writing well is important, but I think passion is even more important because if you don't have that for the genre, you're not, it's not going to show through your writing at all or you're just not going to want to do it as much. Like, I'm constantly doing it. Like, I come home from work and I'm just, that's what I do. <laughs> and if I love it as much as I did, I wouldn't be doing it. Writing well is important, but it's more important to have passion for the genre because if you don't have it, it won't show in your writing. And then people aren't going to want to read it as much. Like, with most of my stuff, you can tell I'm excited or passionate about this actor or this movie or this director. And if you don't have that, there's just no point. So so you um, so you go to your, your day job and you come back and you pretty much write all night then. <laughs> yes. That, that's cool. That's very cool. That's very cool. Now, um, now you've had the opportunity to interview a, a lot of notable people in the entertainment, in entertainment industry over the years. Who has been your favorite so far? <laughs> This is too hard. Um, <laughs> it really is. I have interviewed so many people, and I'm a huge 80s horror fan, so of course, Lisa Wilcox um, yes, of Nightmare on the Street, and Amanda Wise, and Jewel Shepard of Return of the Living Dead was amazing. Me and her talked for over two hours, and wow. she's she's a sweetheart, and we talk all the time. Um Andre Overdahl, Overdahl um, for the autopsy of Jane Doe, I was so nervous with him because he's Norwegian and it was, he lives, he still lives over there and he was so, and you know, his movie is like one of the most talked about films right now, but he was so easy to talk to and it was just like having a conversation and so that was pretty awesome, but there's so many, I, I don't like to pick just one, but there is, they've all been amazing and that's very I'm cool. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just like I know you've interviewed no, a lot of cool people. I just I can't even I can't even pick one because I love them all. Like it's every <laughs> single one of them is a awesome opportunity, and I I'm very grateful. Oh well, that's awesome. That's very cool to, to hear. Um, now maybe a, a little bit of a um, easier question, probably not. What are your top five horror films and top five films of all time? <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna go with. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. I'm a huge Freddy Krueger girl. Um, always have been, always will be. And I love the entire franchise. And the first and third one is kind of iffy for me. I'm not sure which one's my favorite. But um, then Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is probably one of the first horror films I ever saw. It's one of... The only horror movies that have ever, like, really, truly scared me, um, and it's because of Zelda. Zelda is a scary fucking bitch. She still <laughs> scares me today if I watch it. Um, wait, wait, correct me if I'm oh, wrong. That's not the cat, is it? No, it's oh. the, it's her, the sister with the spina, duh, whatever you call that, um, the back problem. Oh, oh, it's, okay. Yeah, yeah, that Way creepy. <laughs> yes. The cat is church. And, yeah, church. Yeah. Um, 
it it still terrifies me today. Um, Trick or Treat, I've been a fan of ever since it came out. I, I love anthologies, and I really like one of my favorite ones, and I'm definitely a huge fan of Sam. Yeah. I have lots of artwork and uh, merchandise with him. The Exorcist is a classic that... I don't think any other film has been able to, kind of like Jaws, Yeah, they keep trying, but it's never going to be the same, because it was just, everything about it was so powerful and scary, Um, and, oh man, did I not write another one? Okay, wait. Um, Top four, it's okay. (laughs) Okay, I don't, yeah, it seems like I'm missing one. So I don't know. So, okay, that's for that. Okay. Now, of all time, <laughs> we'll go with Nightmare on Elm Street for the first one, okay? okay? All time. Harry Potter. I am a huge Harry Potter nerd. <laughs> I, once again, own lots of stuff with that. And I'll watch it anytime it's on TV. I'm pretty obsessed. I have a tattoo. Um... Once again, Trick or Treat. I also have a tattoo of Trick or Treat. Um, it's on my leg. <laughs> One that's kind of surprising is a movie called Love Actually, which is a Christmas movie, and it's kind of like a love story, and it's it's all it's all English um, English people. Um, yes, I, I've seen it. It's been a few years, but I've seen that movie. But yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> It has a lot of my favorite actors in it, and I don't know. There's just something about it, and always, always have. I've always really loved it. Um, and then we'll go back to the '80s, and I'm a huge '80s girl, so The Breakfast Club. Oh, perfect! I, I can't, I can't argue with any of those films. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I own pretty much any '80s teen love thing as possible, as well as all the '80s horror movies. I mean, I love the '90s too, but I grew up on. Yeah, 80s stuff. So same here, same here. I mean, um, I, I, Nightmare on Elm Street is probably one of my f- very first horror movies I've ever seen, um, and I remember. And a few years ago, I actually got a chance to meet Robert England, and he was just like coolest guy. Huh. I, I, I talk, he, so we we talked for like ten minutes. I mean, literally, I w- I felt bad because I thought I was monopolizing all of his time because there, there was such a line. But I was the first one in line that day. <laughs> I was literally there before they even opened the the, uh, the movie theater, and um, he was very cool. But he, he literally signed everything for anybody. He took as many pictures as he want, and um, that's why it was just it took forever for the to get through the line. But uh, he was an amazing guy, and I really enjoyed meeting him. It was really cool. Very very nice guy. That's amazing, and uh, he's definitely one of my dream interviews. Um, I actually try to, I'm, I'm kind of, they're calling me uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street girl as far as interviews, because I've interviewed, you know, two or so, so far, and Mark Patton is still in the future. Um, nice. he, just, he has a lot of health problems, so I have to work with him, oh. but um, Ken, Ken was in three and four. Four, um, the Dream Warrior, Dream Warriors, and then the other one. I'm going to possibly be interviewing him soon, and I, yeah, I plan on trying to tackle them all because it is my favorite. And Robert England would obviously be like number one. Johnny Depp would be up yeah, there too. I, I was going to say that. <laughs> Technically, he's in the first one, and then he was, like, in the other one as well, just, like, on the TV, but still. 
It counts. Um, so those are dreams and goals, but uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Now, um, how do you? It's all, I was going to say that's my ultimate favorite franchise because growing up, I didn't actually watch that much Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth. It was always Freddy, and I don't know why, but. Then I got older and started watching them, the other ones more, but, and I like them, just not near as much as, I think I, I'm kind of, Freddie's sense of humor always got to me, because, like, I'm, I, I guess I try to, like, make people laugh, and his, he was always funny and kind of pervy, and I kind of feel like I'm that way, too. <laughs> that's, that's very funny. Um now, you you mentioned how you've you've interviewed um, a lot of the, your, your favorite '80s uh, actors and actresses. Now, how do your interviews usually come about? Can you say can you speak a little bit about that? Or um, sometimes I reach out. I reached out to Lisa, and she was a sweetheart and was all for it. Um, Amanda uh, Wise, uh, she came out with the movie uh, um, The Id. It's uh, the and then ID, but the id is what it's called. Okay. And it's a, a more so a psychological thriller, but it was pretty amazing. And uh, so that came out last year. So I interviewed her for that, and that was through that type of deal. Um, a lot of the people I interview are indie horror, and sometimes they contact me, sometimes they contact them. It just depends. Like I said, I'm huge into supporting indie horror, so either way, I'm going to do it. So oh, it doesn't cool. matter if you're – I'm going to be excited to interview you if you're, like, an A-list star or, you know, just starting. I just – I like I like knowing how people got involved in things and stuff, so – that, that, that's that's very cool. Um, I know I, you know, I, if you ever get a chance to interview Amy Steele, I want to be there for that. I'll build like a bug <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> that would be of, amazing. Oh man. Yeah. But um, now, I guess um, my final question for you is: uh, What are you currently working on? What's in the old pipeline? What can the readers and followers expect from you? Um, this month has been mostly women in horror month. Uh, just doing all sorts of things with that with horror geek life we're reviewing films for shutter the streaming service um okay. they have a woman feature and uh has uh, i can't remember how many films are in it but so we're covering all of those um uh we have interviews coming out left and right but one coming i think will be jessica cameron and she is the director and actress but uh she directed the film truth or dare which is really good so people should check that out um is that, is that through amazon netflix or you said shutter uh shutter has a lot of them um for for truth or dare try uh amazon okay um I plan on doing more editorials on women. Um, I put out a indie horror women list again today. Um, also, I have lots of other interviews coming. Um, uh, just most of them right now are basically indie horror, just of all different kinds. Um, horror Geek Life is we're doing the weekly recap, which is called HGL Minute, and it just recaps everything we. Um, talked about in the week and it's like a video and it's pretty awesome i really like that 
And I also am going to start doing for Pop Horror um, a artist artist feature of the month. So I don't know. I'm in so many groups and <laughs> run so many pages, and you'll see so many people putting out this awesome artwork or uh, via everything, like necklaces to to paintings to FX stuff to everything, just everything possible. And I plan on just like featuring them starting probably next month. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do it weekly or monthly, but I'll just have different people like this person does this and you should check them out and just get other people other than actors and directors, but other people in the horror community, a spotlight on them because I think what they do is amazing. So there's just so much stuff, and I see it everywhere, and I just, that's one new thing I think I'm going to start doing soon, so. Oh, well, very yeah. cool. Th- that's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you are a very busy, busy gal. <laughs> I am. I really am. Sometimes I wish I didn't have to work the other job, but it, it comes with the, it, it, yeah, I have to. So. You're, you're with the territory, so, yeah, yeah. Those pesky yeah, bills get in the way. It's, it's worth it. It's I've gotten to meet so many amazing people through it. And I never, I mean, I never, when I started writing, I didn't ever think I would be interviewing or doing all that. And I mean, it's pretty amazing. And uh, I, I mean, like I said, I hope to interview a lot more people and I do have like a thousand interviews coming up, but uh So basically yeah. just, just stay tuned, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Just, so, I mean, I guess, some of the interviews I have coming up, I can just say is one is with Haley Detroit, who's uh, she created Coven FX, which is an all woman um, like FX artist and makeup. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. That's coming out soon. Uh, another is from the director of a horror movie coming coming out called Close Calls, and then last year a movie called came out called The Barn. It was awesome. Everybody needs to watch it. Um, that's going to be released um, to some video stores soon, but I think you can run it on Amazon, maybe. Oh, but anyway. The Barn. Okay, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> oh, definitely watch The Barn. It's uh, a Halloween-based film, and I love Halloween-based films, and uh, it has definitely an 80s vibe to it. And I've interviewed a few different people for it. Um, it has a lot of it has a lot of actually older, like known '80s icons in it as well. But um, I'm interviewing one of the, the one of the lead actors in it coming soon for Horror Geek Life. And yeah, it's so much. Oh wow! So I think we. we I mean, is there uh, any kind of websites that you want to really kind of plug and just uh, that stand out to you, so that you could tell the listeners where you could find you? Uh, other, you know, like you said, like horrorgeeklife dot com, dot com. What's the best way to like read your stuff? Both of them. I equally. I mean, just yeah, those sites. Okay. Um, uh, I write. I mean, I do co-own Pop Horror, but I write just as much for horror geek life than i as i do for pop horror um i just you know for pop horror i'm also running everything and have writers and all that stuff but uh oh i'm also involved in uh, i'm a crypt tv member crypt tv is a pretty big deal it's 
like Eli Roth and all them. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so to be a Crypt TV family member is just being involved in the community, so I'm also involved with that, and uh, you get to meet so many wonderful people involved with horror through that as well. Um, but yeah, those are the two main sites I write for, so that's where you're going to see all my work. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I'm everywhere, so. Oh, all right, so check out horrorgeeklife.com, pophorror.com, cryptic TV, cryptic TV? Crypt TV. Okay. Um, yeah, so check out all those to, to, to catch up with Tori and, and the gang over there. <laughs> uh, well, at this time, I'd like to thank my guest, Tori, for joining me tonight on our very first THSP Spotlight. And I hope to be doing more of these in the future. And I'd like to thank you, thank you again, Tori, and uh, good night to everyone. Thank you. Good night. We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. And finally, before we leave you for the month, we head into our mail room. Wait, mail? 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 We got mail? We do have mail. Oh, okay. So let's head into the mail room, All Christopher. First up is an email from Jackson Roberts called Catching Up, dated uh, January 31st, 2017. Hey, Tim and Chris, I just wanted to shoot you guys a quick email to tell you how much I have enjoyed your podcast show so far. I'm a long-distance trucker, and I found your show funny (laughs) and enjoy listening to each of your episodes. I just recently found your show about two and a half months ago and have been binge listening. Your Thanksgiving specials are hilarious. Oh, thank uh, <laughs> you. We try to make them. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm just about to listen to your Christmas episode. I love Black Christmas. It's one of my favorites. Keep up the good work, Jackson. Well, thank, thank you, you Jackson. Thank and you. Uh, Keep on trucking, bud. Um, and finally, we have an iTunes review uh, called Great Stuff. Uh, five stars are given by Ginger Dome 81 uh, dated January 25th, uh, 2017. Super fun podcast with some really great banter between the hosts. It's become a part of my podcast playlist. Well, a heartfelt thank you to both Jackson Roberts and uh, GingerDome81 for your email and iTunes review. Chris and I do try every month to put out a quality show. We appreciate everyone that takes their time to either write us a review or send us an email. So please keep them coming. Um, Also, I want to give a more in-depth answer to our iTunes review last month, He Who Does Not Sleep. This person said that they were interested in our thoughts on some big releases this year. I mentioned that I was looking forward to the reboot slash remake of Stephen King's It. Um, I'm also looking forward to a few more films. The first one is called Get Out. Uh, Then there is Personal Shopper, Split, A Cure for Wellness, and Drifter, just to name a few. And I'm sure more will be added to the list as the year goes on. Uh, I'll do my my best to post the trailers to our official Facebook page so everyone can see them. Chris, are there any new releases are you looking forward to? Uh, well, I'll be honest. I, it's interesting you mentioned some of the titles there. I have been seeing the uh, TV spot for A Cure for Wellness, oh, okay. I believe. And yeah. uh, that one looks to be a very interesting one. I mean, I haven't really been paying too much much attention to any of the new releases yet, but 
that one I keep seeing advertised, so okay. there has to be something about that one that's yes. <laughs> that that I got to check out. I guess so. Yes, a cure for wellness. Yes, a cure for wellness. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that does it from the mailroom for this month. We'll be back here next month. Uh, so take care and uh, good night, guys. Yep, happy VD. Yeah, oh. yep, VD. <laughs> Valentine's <laughs> Day. No, no burning. <laughs> All right, take care, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Oh, son of a bit, bit, uh, son of a bit, bit, son of a bit, 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 a uh, gun. <laughs> you thought I was going to say, uh, son of a bitch, didn't you? <laughs>